Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you lost Survivor and you're feeling down, David and Jessica will turn it around. They'll break down the rules and they'll show you how. You played yourself and got voted out. This is why Blank lost. Welcome to this week's edition of Why Blank Lost, which in this case is Why Chris Won. I'm David Bloomberg, and I'm slowly recovering from the finale. With me, of course, is my co-host, Jessica Lewis, who is hopefully doing the same. I don't think I have recovered. It's been a rough week for TV, you know, between Survivor and Game of Thrones. I don't think I can handle Wait, don't, it anymore. Don't spoil, don't spoil Game of Thrones. I'm, I'm not going to spoil. I'm, I'm just going to say. I'm only eight seasons behind. <laughs> well, then you better not look at Twitter at all because yeah. it's all just going to be given away. Uh, yes. It's, oh, I, I don't think, listen, seriously, if there's one podcast. I am not looking forward to doing it's this one. I'm going to be completely honest with everybody. I apologize ahead of time if I come across as a little aggressive or bitchy, but I just, I, that's how, the mood I'm in. How do they know the difference? <gasps> no, Did you really I'm just, just kidding. Oh, oh, that was so wow. mean. The knives come out already. Wow. Man, <laughs> I didn't even do anything wrong and I'm getting it from you. <laughs> that's Can't right, wait that's to right. see what you say about some. Other people during yeah, the podcast. Yeah, well, I know, <laughs> I know. So oh, you know, yeah. as we were as we were preparing for this podcast, uh, Facebook reminded me that it was the three year anniversary of the Co Wrong finale, and you know, I, I saw my post at the time as we were trying to process what the heck happened there. Little did we know, here we are, three years later, and it's that much worse. Mm, yes, I didn't have to process that one with you, though. That's true. That's mm-hmm. true. I mean, I had to process it, but just right. not with the whole world listening. And I do hope yes. the whole world is listening. I believe they are. <laughs> I believe every single person in they the world will be listening. They absolutely should be listening. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and I'm, I am sorry to, I'm just going to say it now. You know, if anyone who is on the season is offended, it's not about you. It's really not about you. So yeah. I'm, I am just going to put that out there. Let's. Okay. Let's get through this, Bloomberg. Yeah. So, you know, at, at the at the end of the Wiggle Room podcast, Josh mentioned how mad he knew I was about the way this season played out and ended uh, based on my reactions, mostly on Twitter. And then Rob said in a patron podcast that I was turned up. 
mm-hmm. which I'm pretty sure is the first time anyone has used that particular term to describe me. <laughs> um, but uh, they're both right. And yeah. So, you know, we're going to get a lot of why. But let, let me explain why to start with. I don't do season rankings, but as of this moment, this was the worst Survivor season ever. Wow. And, and that saddens me. Because yeah. I like so many of the players from the season. Yes. And I don't blame them for this travesty. No, and I that's that is my struggle with this, is that there were great people on this season. There were so many incredible moments, but the theme, oh goodness. It just yeah. it's just killed all of it. And it's so sad for everyone who was on this season that this is going to be their legacy. This is what's going to be remembered about this season is this theme as opposed to some really incredible gameplay, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, to, to paraphrase Wandoff star uh, DJ LaBelle Klein from Twitter, blame the producers all you want. Blame the format all you want. You can't blame the players, including Chris, for playing the game they built. Oh, right, right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I know that there were some people who liked this finale. And for those of you who are listening, I'm happy for you. I'm not one of them, clearly. I kid you not when I say that the finale left me physically and mentally stunned. I sat at my computer for a while after it was over, just replying to tweets uh, in between staring at the TV, which, by the way, I turned off at that point. Mm. Uh, I, I walked around the house in a daze for like an hour, hour and a half afterwards. I had to go to work the next day and I just felt like there was this cloud, you know, over my head. Yeah. It didn't feel like it was done. I guess it it was like something felt so unfinished. Usually we get to the finale and regardless of whether or not you love the winner or hate the winner or you're indifferent, it at least feels like, like there's closure. I don't feel like there was any closure with the way this one ended up happening because of all the weirdness that transpired. Right. Oh, no, I agree. Now, luckily at work, I have a, a coworker who's a super fan, too. So we were able to talk a little and relieve some of the pounding in my head. But, <laughs> you know, normally I would start preparing for this podcast on Thursday night by watching Ponderosa videos and reading or listening to the various interviews. I, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. And, and I know someone is sitting there listening right now going, oh, my God, stop being so melodramatic. But I have watched every single episode of this show. I've never felt this way. Yeah. And it was just a stunning turn of events. And to me, it was a big F you from a show that I love. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've talked about how annoying the prevalence of idols advantage and twist have been for a while now. And yet we still end up with a season like this. And again, I, I want to reemphasize this. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about Chris, who seems to be a very nice guy. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I am talking about the producers <laughs> for allowing this twist to happen. Yeah. No. And, and I, I think that this is something that I, I don't know if, if now is the right time or not. Like, I think that this twist could have worked if they had limited it, if they had said, OK, you know what, we're going to pre-merge, give those people an opportunity who are on Extinction Island a chance to come back into the game. Because the whole idea it, and I remember reading about Jeff's pregame interviews talking about where this concept came from and there was supposed to be this this like surprise factor that nobody who is still in the game would know that this island existed and that there was a chance people could come back in the game that was supposed to be the big aha moment which happened when they brought all of them back in pre-merge and had the competition of who's going to come back 
That's your aha moment. That's the moment where all of the players go, oh, that's the person I voted out. This is so painful and awkward. And this is so weird. Then be done with it. Yeah. You know, get the get get someone back in the game. It's pre-merge. It's still early in the game. There's still a lot of game left to play. And there's no reason for anybody, I'm sorry, to get a second chance to come back in the game again five days before it's done. Yeah. And yeah, we'll definitely get to more of that. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, um, but that's just no, no, obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, now coming back five days before it's done, it does explain some of the editing. It, it makes a little bit more sense now. But but that whole situation is still the fault of the producers. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, and, and the other thing that people, some people complained about was the focus on Rick. And after it was all done, this season was the story of the rise and fall of Rick Evans. Oh, yes, absolutely. He Mm -hmm. was the centerpiece who seemed destined to win, but got beaten out at the end, much like Samoa was the story of the rise and fall of Russell Hans, though obviously they're slightly different people. Right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just slightly. 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 Um, Now, I I do want to inject a little bit of positivity here, and and that is that I came in first in Mark Percy's like almost 250-team survivor draft. I know, and I actually, I didn't win. I props to you for winning because that was a huge pool of people to win out of like 250. I I was 26. So I was, I pretty... think you were the top survivor alumnus. Ooh, I'll take that. That's exciting. So yeah. kudos to me, but yeah, props to you because that's, that's pretty incredible that you were able to pull that off. Yeah. Nice and I, even on the more plus side, I won the draft I'm in with, with some poker players uh for actual moolah and that's nice uh, yeah mm-hmm. uh, you know my team of chris rick lauren and aurora crushed oh the competition. my gosh yes you know i mean i thought i had a pretty good chance going into the finale with rick and lauren still in the game and obviously you know things turned around but it was still one of my team members and the funny thing is i was so far ahead by the end of it i didn't even need the points i got from chris seriously yeah that doesn't even seem to make sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it was because I had the the uh, uh, all the points from Rick finding and using idols, Rick's immunity challenge wins, Aurora's immunity challenge wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all those things added up, and yeah, by the end of it, I like I said, I didn't even need Chris's points. That's but, pretty uh, amazing. Yeah, I, well, you know, look at you. I, I, for I know, such a crappy I, season, you're just kicking it. Well, you know, I, the thing is now I don't feel like I can enter any draft again because I can never <laughs> do better than that. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Now you've, you've peaked. So you're just That's done. Right. You're right. over. So, you're done. All right. So bringing us down again. So I might as well go to the worst part about this outcome. Oh, there's, there's more. There's more. Do there's tell. more. I just wanted to inject that minor bit of positivity. Mm. Um, and it. We saw this coming. I know. We, we noted that someone could get voted out early, yeah. spend almost the whole game on Extinction Island, mm-hmm. return with a few days left, and win the game with the help of jurors who might never have even met some of the finalists. Yeah. Okay. As soon as we as soon as we heard about it, we talked about that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, then as I prepared for this podcast, I remembered that when Chris was originally voted out. I made reference to the way David predicted what would happen to their plan if Chris told Wardog about it, and he was dead on. And if you you know remember back to that podcast, I compared it to the original Total Recall movie 
and Dr. Edgemar's prediction for Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, Quaid, coming exactly true as the movie progressed. Mm -hmm. Well, we predicted the future just as accurately as Dr. Edgemar. Oh, uh, geez. The, the difference is this wasn't a delusion like the storyline in Total Recall was, uh, you know, I, I, but I just don't understand if we could predict this. Why couldn't the producers see this coming and guard against it? Oh, I think this is what they wanted. Honestly, I mean, we talked about this, too. And, and I think it was pregame when we were just talking about kind of digesting the theme and what it meant for the game. And one of the things that we talked about was this idea or this desire that a, for a Joe win, that Joey amazing. We did. And, and, and that this was a season designed around someone like Joe who would thrive on Extinction Island because that's, that's what he can do. That's his, his survival is, is just his abilities to survive, go fishing hang out with people, kind of relax a little bit, but he, that's a perfect environment for Joe to thrive. And that's what I think we all kind of thought the producers were thinking was, Hey, this is an opportunity for Joey amazing to maybe win because he'll come back five days before the game is over mm -hmm. or almost over. Yeah. I mean, you are right about that, but I got to tell you from what I have heard, I don't think they're very happy with this outcome. I mean, maybe they wanted it for Joe, but, I mean, we know one, the main person in casting, you know, was not brought back after this. Yes. And here's, here's my, my thoughts on that is that they probably thought, Hey, this will be neat. Let's see what happens here. But now they've seen the response from the fans and people that love survivor and that perhaps we shouldn't have gone in this direction. I, I don't think that they were thinking down the road that this might actually blow up in our face if we try to do I this. Mean, yeah, but that's what I said. We all saw it coming. Why didn't they? But Yeah, but I, yeah. I think we were coming at it from different different perspectives because I think yeah, we were objective. We were objective observers and they were caught up in their own uh, dreams. Well, because they I, I do think that CBS and Survivor have been not that they're struggling, but there is a lot of pressure to do something new. And now that they've been in Fiji for so many seasons, they've got to kind of, they got to step up on their themes. And we've seen this, they've been getting a little more creative, mm -hmm. you know, the ghost Island, like all of these things that were head scratching a little bit. Like what, what is the, the point of this? And I, I think it's because they're trying to keep people interested and they're trying to do something new. And so as they're trying to figure out what are we going to do for season 38, and someone came up with this idea like, oh, well, hey, what about this? And I think it just kind of the ball started rolling and they started thinking, well, this is different and it's a new idea and it's a new concept. Never seen it before. We'll see what happens. But I think they got excited about the idea of it and didn't really think about the effects that it could have on the game that they created. Yeah. Now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I believe one of the spoiler sites, and I don't mean spoiler as in results, but as in future seasons and who's on them, had said this was the original idea for Ghost Island. Mm. So they had this idea rolling around for a solid year, mm -hmm. if that's true. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but anyway, um, so, yeah. I, OK, we yeah, those were a few of my thoughts on things and a few of yours. It, <laughs> There'll be you more. Know, there'll be more. Yeah, there'll be more. And we, we still have a job to do here. We do. And, and you know, I, I've heard a few people suggest that with Chris's win, the rules that we go through every week go out the window. 
But that's really not the case. We still have six players to discuss, including the winner, and compare them to the rules that anyone can find at robhasawebsite.com slash survivor38rules. By the time we're done, I think you'll see that whatever the twists did to the game, my rules still apply. Mm -hmm. Uh, So now, of course, since we're talking about those rules, it's time to remind you, uh, not you, Jessica, but you, the listener, that there's also a shorter and much more colorful version of the rules that we've been talking about, uh, which people can find at tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster. Yes, it's an 11 by 17 poster. It looks great in a frame. You just go to eBay and you can order it. We'll ship it right out to you. And we've also been able to ship them out of the country. So if you are interested in doing that, don't go through the eBay order. You can contact me directly, DM me uh, through Twitter, and we can make arrangements to get that all set up for you. So they're super incredibly impressive. Eric Reichenbach did an amazing job uh, designing this. It's really, really, it's really great. So check it out and order it. It's only $20 plus uh, shipping. And yeah, you can have one hanging up in your space, just like David Bloomberg does at work. That's right. That's right. And uh, uh, speaking of frames, they we do not ship with a frame, but if you want the same frame that I got, I already sent a link to a couple people. So uh, um, yeah, just let me know on Twitter and I'll happily tell you uh, where the frame came from. Anyway, uh, moving on to uh, uh, the the rest of the rule. Well, actually, before we get to the the rules, I also want to mention that we'll be doing a post-post finale Q&A podcast again in a week or so. We've already started taking questions on Twitter, so be sure to send in your question so we can tell you what we think, you know, in case we don't tell you what we think enough in this podcast. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I think yeah. I think they're going to hear a lot about what we think. That is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we as we head to uh, that portion, uh, our comparison of the final six to the rules, I want to mention that we might not specifically talk extensively about each individual player in each rule. We're going to try, but it's one of the downsides of having six people in a finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, though, you know, some of the players might consider it an upside. Uh, you know, we'll do our best to hit the highlights and lowlights when they apply. And, you know, some are just by nature going to get more attention in certain rules. It's just the way things go. Mm-hmm. So Plus, we've already that, spent a significant amount of time talking about, like, Rick. Yeah. Not that we shouldn't uh, talk about Rick again, but we well, did. I have a feeling we, we might talk about him for a minute or two. Uh, we uh, might. I'm just saying, you know. Yeah. So, all right. It's time to figure out why Chris won. Gavin, Julie, Victoria, Lauren lost, and Rick lost again. <laughs> It's a mouthful. I like it, though. That's true. So rule number one, first rule is, of course, to scheme and plot. And in his preseason interviews, Chris talked about his salesmanship. We we didn't see it in his first stint. And I even said in Why Chris Lost that my very first impression was that he overestimated how much being a salesman would help him in Survivor. And I, I didn't have a good feeling about him. But after I took in all the pregame interviews, I changed my mind and, as we know now, even drafted him for my fantasy team. That kind of represents his time in the game, too. He didn't do well as a salesman the first time, but everything changed when he came back. And quite frankly, he could have sold ice to an Eskimo or maybe a better Mm. metaphor is selling bamboo to a survivor player. Or getting someone to play an idol for you when they should. Yeah, (laughs) we'll get to that. But no, I I agree that the what I think that what Chris did was very similar to what we saw Rick do in this regard. I mean, Rick and Chris, while they were playing the game before they were voted out initially, 
the way that they played the game changed dramatically when they came back. And they both used the same metaphor about like a poker. They're basically playing a game of poker and they're both all in. And they both recognized that they were given a second chance and they had to do with it everything they possibly could to justify why they should win if they made it to the end. And I, I do think that it was because really they got voted out, you know? So, yeah. so that's, that's a significant thing to have. That's a huge hurdle to have to get over. And so I think that they both took the same exact approach. And clearly when he came back into the game, yeah, he was, he was doing an excellent job of negotiating and really working various components of each person who was left particularly for things that he needed, but made it sound more like it was a benefit to them. A negative reverse. Or yes, the like negative that. reverse is exactly what he was doing. And he pulled yeah. it off. He definitely yeah, I, pulled it off. Yeah. I mean, as Steve, Stephen said in his blog, uh, after Chris fought his way back from extinction, he dominated the strategic conversation at camp. He set himself up as an information broker. He, he also, uh, Chris also told Rob, he came back into the game knowing Lauren needed to create a resume that was larger than Rick and Victoria. He planted seeds to have her play that idol for him to boost mm -hmm. his own resume while diminishing hers and also convinced her and others that Rick's idol was fake when he knew it was real. Mm -hmm. he, he also helped Julie win immunity, which was part of his plan to throw a competition. So he didn't just challenge Beast his way to the end. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about that more later. Uh, matter of fact, a lot of this we'll talk about more later, too. Uh, he knew he had to show strategic chops to get the jury's blessing. and. Of course, he took the necklace off and beat Rick in firemaking, taking out the top contender to win it all. He said in interviews that this was a plan all along and uh, the firemaking part, at least, you know, he even talked about in pregame. Now, Chris said on the show that he couldn't have played a better game. And I agree in terms of those last three days. Yes. But, but we discussed some things in, um, in why Chris lost that he could have done better. So as not to get voted out earlier. Uh, however, it seems the jury wasn't at all worried about his actions from those earlier days. So it didn't matter. He played the part of the game he needed to because the others should have voted him out immediately. And he got them to do something else. Yeah. I mean, we've heard other survivors talk about how a lot of what you do pre-merge doesn't really matter that much because people have almost a short-term memory in this game. They will remember certain things more than they'll remember those early moments in the game. Oh, yeah. Reem remembers the pre-merge. Pre Reem definitely remembers. But I also think that part of the reason why in this particular situation that individuals were able to put aside what Chris had done before he was voted out the first time was that they spent so much time with him on an island with 28 days, you know, getting mm -hmm. to know him in a different fashion, in a different way. And I think that has a tendency to make you stop thinking about how he was in the game, because now you're just thinking about how he was on Extinction Island. Well, and also then, most of them, most of them didn't know him in the pregame. Yeah. But then you also, yeah. well, I mean, there, but there were people, Rick obviously played right, with him. David right. played with him. Yeah. So they did. There were people that, that interacted with him. I mean, Lauren and, right. You know, all but but I do think that his coming back into the game was what became the focus as opposed to what he did 
before he was, it was almost like that was his trial and error. Like, oh, he screwed up there. We're really not going to count that against him. And I don't necessarily like that that happened because I think it should have been more of a push from the people who were sitting next to him in the final three. Like, hey, remember, he got voted out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, just so everyone knows, we're there's going to be plenty of that to talk about in Appendix B. I know. Uh, So so, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself warning people why maybe we're leaving some of that out now. Yeah. But so I but I do think that for the the time frame that he had coming back into the game, yes, he definitely kicked it up a few notches and did everything he needed to do in those five days in order to have a legit argument before the jury. Yeah. All right. Moving to Gavin uh, in our preseason podcast, I noted that he wanted to use his country boy accent to pretend to be honest and play up being a dumb hick while keeping his super fandom under wraps and be strategic, which seems like he pretty well held to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he noted to Rob that he was involved in a lot of moves. He played a classic game of survivor going 39 days without a single vote against him. And although much of his play was under the radar, we know he was active throughout the game. In a web confessional from episode two, he talked about building connections and how important it was to have relationships with everyone. In one from the following episode, he again talked about how he's trying to bond with everyone so they'd vote for him to win at the end. And in the next episode after that, he had one talking about building stronger and stronger bonds to show people he cares about them. So he was working his fellow players in a purposeful way, and he was behind a number of the votes, including the one that took out one of his own friends, Eric. Yeah, he no, was, he definitely did. Yeah, he did a great job. Yeah, I mean, he was usually in the majority. People would go to him. He he functioned as an important part of the strategy, but he wasn't flashy about it. Yeah, and part of, this is a strange strategic thing, but this is how much he was thinking about the game. Even him wearing a pineapple shirt was meaningful because he mm-hmm. wore it making an assumption that people would see him in a pineapple shirt and think he was kind of a little more jovial and not a threatening guy and just kind of a, you know, funny country boy wearing a pineapple shirt like who's going to be threatened by a guy in a pineapple shirt that's how much he was thinking about the game is it was it was even about the shirt that he was choosing to wear on the island and i do think that that played into the type of game that we saw him play where it was it was kind of more nuanced and there was little or parts to it it might not have been showboaty and it might not have been flashy but he was very particular in all of the decisions that he made and why he made them. And it was all because he wanted to make it to day 39, which he clearly did. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on to the third place finisher. Julie didn't seem to be as involved in the strategy as Gavin was, but she certainly was a part of various moves. In interviews, she mentioned the Julia vote, of course, where she said she went into tribal council wanting to vote Julia out. The problem there, as I saw it, was Rick and Wardog got the credit, even if it was in her mind for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she also told Rob she was in on other votes, such as pushing hard for Wardog. But as we'll see when we get to Victoria, I don't think Julie was the main person responsible there either, or at least didn't get the credit for it. She added to Rob that she made moves, but they all did it together while she pushed her agenda hard. And I I don't think that either we, the viewers or the jury saw that aspect of her. And even when we saw her participating, she didn't seem to be uh, the pilot, for lack of a better metaphor. No, that is true. She was more of a passenger, wasn't she? I do think that she found herself part of 
very key discussions. And she really did have a great job. Like I'm thinking about her conversation she had with Rick when he was back in the game and how she didn't want him to be the first one voted out and the way that she handled that and the conversation specifically with Rick and how she got him on her good side and was willing to work with her because she made him assurances, but she also withheld information at the same time when she talked to him. And then he was able to bring David into the fold. So I think that she had some strategic chops about her. Like she knew what she needed to do and she knew what conversations she needed to have. But yeah, unfortunately, she was part of a larger group and she kind of got lost in that larger group. Yeah, I mean, for the Rick thing, I mean, Stephen even gave her a fishy for that. Yeah. You know, she she told Rick that Kelly went uh, that, that Kelly, Lauren and War Dog were targeting him. And, you know, I just want to take a side thing here. It's interesting to me because from various interviews, it seems like Rick believed his former Lesu tribe mates turned on him first, while Lauren seemed upset that he turned on them. So I don't know what to think there, but mm, mm-hmm. it is seems possible that Julie got them all turned around. Yeah. And, you know, but of course, this was just before comma blew up on itself. And so yeah. it didn't really help Julie to get credit for anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, at least who knows what ended up truly transpiring there. But I do think that I do think that Julie, she played a much savvier game than I really expected her to. I thought she was going to have a hard time becoming part of a group and she actually did an excellent job becoming part of a group and had like a you know ride or die which is a great thing to have in this game too so she she did really well getting involved and being involved in the strategic decisions that were being made with that group yeah yeah she just didn't show up as the leader of it which right. was what a lot of them were looking for right um so fourth we have this guy named rick devins who uh, barely got any tv time at right? all so i mean hard to say much about him who but, was he but, again yeah i don't know what did you think no he was my favorite person out there <laughs> listen really? there are some serious rick devins haters out there all right and i understand he got a lot of airtime and and again that's not rick devins fault that's on the producers they decided yeah. to give him more time than they gave anyone else in the season but you have to give the guy props for the game that he played i mean i already mentioned it a little bit that he and Chris had the same mindset about how to play the game once they were back in the game. And it was an all in. And that's exactly what Rick was doing. He was all in. He did great before he got voted out. And I think that he just didn't play as hard as he wanted to. He was playing more of a, more of a social game before he got voted Mm -hmm. out and trying to just be nice to everybody. And when he came back in, he was like, Nope, that's not going to cut it. I've got to really go hard or I'm going to go home again. And that's what he did. And and that included strategic moves, but also all kinds of other stuff, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. I mean, he said in his in-game Hollywood reporter interview that he was a free agent when he came back. He was Mm -hmm. happy to work with the former Lesu, but also felt justified in finding new allies since he knew he was on the bottom of that five. He he thought Lesu would try to reel him back in and felt like he could also use his social skills to fit in with comma and wait for cracks. He you know, he worked at the merge feast to find common ground. He he bonded with Julia, Eric, Julie, Ron, Victoria, and Gavin over a variety of different topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and David pitched a Lesu plus Joe and Aurora alliance to Joe. But then, of course, uh, you know, he heard from Julie about Kelly and Lauren wanting to vote him out again, as we just discussed. 
So he went with Julie because he felt like Kama was a big and untested group that would fracture. Mm-hmm. And while some viewers were criticizing him and claiming things like, ah, oh, he's just tagging along and giving control to Kama. No, he had a plan to make use of his new allies and try to put himself in a good position. He he believed he saw a path to number one, and he thought that Wardog and David believed he was just trying to go forward a little bit, which, again, seemed to be what a lot of viewers thought. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but no, he thought there would be a path to take control of the game. Now, uh, we know that things didn't go that way for him. Mm-hmm. Kama blew up too soon, and he ended up in a bad spot that led to him frequently being on the wrong side of the vote. He right. kept trusting people and then finding out the hard way that they'd left him out of the plan. Yeah. And that's something I think we need to get back to. I don't know when you want to talk about it, but this whole being on the right side or the wrong side of the vote. I don't know if I should go on my soapbox now or if I should do it later. Well, I didn't know you had a soapbox on this, but, uh, you know, we're on the strategy part. So this is the uh, the appropriate time. All right. So here's my soapbox. Being on the wrong side of the vote doesn't necessarily mean that you are not playing a strategic game. What it means is, and this is coming from someone who played the game and was out on the island, that when you're not told what's happening, there's reasons for it. You're not being told what's happening because people are targeting you because they think you're a threat to win the game and they might want to get you out. So they're keeping you out of those strategic talks. So yes, you have to try to get involved in as many of those discussions as you can. But sometimes you'd be shocked to know this. People just lie to you out there and they tell you, right? It's shocking. And they tell you things and you know, as they're having this conversation with you, this person's bullshitting me right now, but you have to smile and go, okay, so that's what the plan is because you can't really find it what the plan is because the plan is either you or your friend who you work closely with being on the right side of the vote. It does mean people are sharing information with you, but I played with someone and I, I'm not speaking ill of anyone from my season either, but someone who was on the right side of every vote. And she was someone who was in the final three. And that was one of her big pitches was she was on the oh, right hold side. On, of hold every on. Vote. Let me, let me do some math here. Wait, uh, you haven't <laughs> used a name. I'm just trying hard to figure out who it is. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> but I can tell you this. She was on the right side of every vote because Everyone knew that they could utilize her to ship information back and forth. They knew that she would flip if they needed her to. And that, and again, I'm not speaking ill about this is the way she was playing the game. She was flipping quite a bit. People knew that she was going to flip. And she ended up being on the right side of every vote because people were trying to use her as a number. And they also knew that they could get information from her because she would tell them what's happening on the other side. So just because you're on the right side of the numbers doesn't necessarily mean that you are leading the strategy or that you're actually in charge of anything. It could mean that you are being utilized as a number because other people are strategizing and you're part of the strategy of getting the votes. So just everyone who wants to think like that's a key component to good strategizing. That's not it. it. There's a lot of reasons why you might be on the right side of every vote. I'm just putting that yeah. out there. I mean, I would say it's an indicator. It shows that you were strategizing. Mm-hmm. It's not the only indicator. Right. But you can be strategizing and be on the wrong side. But so, I mean, sometimes that means you you trusted the wrong people. And Rick right. admitted that he trusted oh, yeah. the wrong people sometimes. And also now, Rick was the target most of the time. So, right. of course, people aren't going to tell him exactly what's happening and what's exactly. going on. I mean, when I was being you know targeted, I had people the first time telling me I was and I couldn't I just couldn't 
wrap my brain around it and believe it. But then once that happens to you, you're like, okay, now I know who I have to listen to and who I can't listen to. So it teaches you a lot about how the strategy is being utilized by other people. And so it, it's a very interesting thing to process when you're out there, who's telling you the truth, who's not, and who are they gunning for and who are they not gunning for. And yeah, I, and I do think that that is, well, it's, a great thing for you to say, I was on the right side of every vote. You have to ask yourself, why were you on the right side of every vote? That's what it really comes down to. Like, yeah. What yeah. did you play in that whole role? Yeah. And I mean, we'll, we'll get to someone who was on the right side of every vote and I think was doing it for a very good reason. But I, I, I do have, I, I do have a couple more things to address about Rick. Um, there were things that he said about strategy that did not exactly paint him in a positive light. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we do need to address these because when he went on the mud bath reward with war dog, uh, and well, and Lauren and Julie, he said he wasn't looking at the reward as a strategic opportunity because Lauren and Julie were not playing the game, just going where the wind blows. And they seemed okay with that. And that was of course, accompanied by us seeing them make plots and plans as you would expect. Mm -hmm. And it was just not a good look. Uh, you know, presuming, of course, that it wasn't a Frankenstein quote like the one from Kelly about him at the merge. But, right. Okay, you know, first, if they were actually going where the wind blows, as he said, well, then he needed to be the wind. Mm -hmm. And rewards are a perfect time to do that. So he, he should have been doing that. Second, as a general matter, and we've talked about this before, if someone seems like they're OK, just floating along, there's a fairly decent possibility that they are secretly scheming and probably against you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just because people aren't plotting with you doesn't mean they're not plotting. And, you know, that uh, it was one quote in that case. I, I think there might have been another quote similar. You know, it, it is something to remember there. Right. And that's and, why I go back to the why you have to ask yourself, why is this person right on the right side of the vote or the wrong side of the vote? You've got to look at the, the whole picture and what's happening. And obviously we don't get to see all of it because we're watching an edited program that's 42 minutes long. But yes, there were things that I think Rick missed the boat on really and yeah. things that he should have spent more time focusing on. But, you know, I think overall he was focused on trying to be strategic, but at the same time, yeah, there were things that he missed about other people's gameplay that he should have been much more aware of. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not entirely sure how much that situation impacted him because he was already on his way to becoming the number one target. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when he got to that point later and everyone wanted him gone, just about any attempted strategy was met with a brick wall. You know, he told Gordon Holmes after the finale, he was out there playing as hard as he could and would have loved to work with some of the others, but it was just not going to happen. Yes. Those doors were closed to him. Mm -hmm. Look what he said about Aurora. He's like, you're a really nice girl who just won't play the game with me. Right. And that's, that is a huge struggle. I think for anyone out there who really wants to strategize and wants to play the game. But when you are a man on your own Island, if you know, we can say it that way. It, yeah, it, it becomes an impossible feat and people want to give Rick a lot of, um, crap for you know i mean i, I hate that i, I keep saying yeah, i apologize my language has been less how than dare stellar. you say I know, that it's word. terrible i've said some things already but they want to they people are complaining that oh well he found too many idols and it was all about playing idols and advantages and immunities what else was he supposed to do if no one's talking to him and no one's willing to strategize and he knows that he's target number one he needs to focus on other aspects of the game Right. And he did have, you know, when he was public enemy number one, he did have a strategy 
that he was able to play. And that was the way he performed at tribal council. Right. Because he couldn't strategize with the others. So he basically took his argument straight to the jury. So they would hopefully reward him if he made it to the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven said flat out that Rick was one of the greatest survivor tribal councils performers of all time. Yeah. Uh, your your old uh, castmate, Chris Hammonds, echoed the sentiments on Twitter. And Elizabeth from last season tweeted after one particular episode that Rick's tribal council was the best display of wit, intelligence and gameplay in the moment that we've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there were others. This was not just some random thought. That was his strategy at that point. Yes. And he knew that that was the one opportunity that he would have to play the game. And he played it in front of the jury. So that's only going to help him win points with the jury and also kind of get into the heads of all the people that he's still playing the game with. And and I, mm-hmm. I know that we talked about this. People were giving him too much attention because they told him, hey, you're enemy number one like you're the no, you're the we'll guy we want to get, we'll out. get right. to that. okay yes. we'll get there i mean but it I, may seem like rule one is going on forever but you know it'll probably only be another hour <laughs> that's <laughs> a yes. joke people that's a joke it is a joke hang in there right, we can move on to yeah. something else then because i could yeah. i could keep going yeah well you like you know we'll get back to it but yeah let's move on to lauren because she said in an episode to web confessional that she loved kelly but she also knew kelly would make a great shield and you know, that was it was great thinking right from mm-hmm. the get go. And that alliance plus Wardog kept her safe until the merge, at which point she started working in other ways as well. She noted on the post finale social media Q&A that that all of the finalists uh, did on like the Survivor Facebook and, and Twitter that she was able to integrate herself into different alliances, such as with Gavin, Julie and Victoria. And as soon as Kelly was voted out, she had to start working right away. Mm-hmm. She she offered to work with War Dog, but then went to all her other allies to get him out. Uh, she told Rob that she gave War Dog fake respect for the anti-Kelly vote so she could maneuver around him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she she also said the one thing enabling her to get far in the game was making alliances with people who were bigger threats. Yes. And she was doing what. We unfortunately gave War Dog so much. Um, I don't know. We complained a lot about his his approach because as soon as he got Kelly out, then who are they going to be looking at? They're going to be looking at War Dog. Lauren understood that. She recognized that that those meat shields. That's really great for your game because that allowed her to play that much longer. Because she is someone who I think was dominating in a really quiet way if you will like she was always really good in challenges but she wasn't someone who everyone was focusing on even though she was always really good in challenges she was someone who was formulating relationships with everybody and seemed to just be liked by everyone but again nobody was looking at lauren but it wasn't like flying under the radar it was an interesting it was it's just an interesting gameplay to, to see her have because it wasn't what I was expecting from her coming in. I didn't think that she would be able to kind of sit back and be quietly observing everything, but then utilize it to her advantage. I thought she was going to have some difficulty doing that, but she did it exceptionally well. Yeah. Yeah. So finally, we have Victoria, who might have been the schemiest of them all. Uh, she always knew where the votes were going. This was she was obviously the one I was referring to mm-hmm. earlier. Right. And she moved wherever the numbers were. She was never blindsided. She took out people with idols and more. War Dog said on Twitter that there was nobody's game he respected more than Victoria's, adding that she was a stone cold killer 
and he touted her on Extinction Island. He respected the layers of complexity she used in taking someone out. So, for example, uh, she discussed the vote against War Dog in interviews, explaining that he thought they were voting out Aurora, but he knew she was close to Aurora. So he told Victoria it was Gavin, but then she expressed doubt to make War Dog truly believe she thought that was the plan when she was really behind the plan to get rid of War Dog. Mm -hmm. Did you get all that? Because (laughs) that is just layers on layers. And it was similar to the way she blindsided Aubrey early on, early on, giving her a real plan and a fake plan. Yeah. And and that's what I mean by her being the schemiest. Yeah. And I do think that she didn't get nearly enough credit for the Aubrey vote because she really is the one that made that happen. And to know the type of game that Aubrey plays and how great she is socially when she's out there to have someone like Victoria come along and really make Aubrey feel so comfortable and sell Aubrey on this idea of, you know, we're going to do an all girls thing and and it's going to be you and me and we're, and she really, she did it in such an incredible way and it was so believable and look it worked Aubrey didn't play her idol and I think all of us sat there watching this going what is happening like what happened to Aubrey how did she get fooled well it was Victoria so I do think that Victoria is an example of someone who she was on the right side of every vote but she was on the right side of every vote because that's where she was leading the votes to and we right. didn't see that much of it unfortunately but it's it's a different position to be in again you go back to the why why were these votes being cast the way that they were? Well, they were being cast the way that they were because Victoria was leading the charge, except on that one crazy tribal council yeah. where she just jumped ship and was like, who, who are we all voting for? I'm just right. going to do this. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I mean, other people saw the same thing. Chris himself on Twitter called her the smartest player out there after uh, Stephen pointed out that it was bonkers to vote out uh, Victoria over Chris at final six adding that she was making the correct play while the people around her didn't. Chris Mm -hmm. also said in an interview that she was really intuitive and the most on top of it from a strategic standpoint. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one more example of her strategic play was the Ron vote. She didn't want Rick's vote to determine who went home if Rick had an idol, which of course he did. Mm -hmm. So she reached out to Lauren and brought along Gavin for the plan. And then she even put herself into a better position by not being one of the people voting Ron, Mm -hmm. which means if Ron had stayed, she would have saved face. She would have been like, why? I didn't vote for you, Ron. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and so coming into the game, she pretty well told us this was how she was going to play in her getting to know you video. She said she expected to be underestimated, but thought she was good at schmoozing people. She said, you don't have to catch fish or make fire. Just be on the right side of the numbers. And she was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was. And she she definitely is someone who came into this game recognizing that um, what her. What she could potentially bring to the game and what her hindrances were to the game. And she she saw that. Right out of the right out of the gate, she talked about how pregame someone like her is likely to be more or more likely to be voted out early because she might be seen as weaker. But someone like her after the merge is someone who's likely to be kept around longer because now they don't seem to be like they're such a you know a a, a challenge threat, if you will. And she had all of these things swimming through her mind before the game even started. She went into the game knowing how she wanted to play and also recognizing how she could play as the person that she was. And I really was impressed 
that she was able to pull it off. I wish we had been able to see more of her so we could appreciate it more throughout the right. season. Right. All right. So we're almost 50 minutes in. And that was rule one. <laughs> and it was uh, it was probably the longest we'll discuss today, at least until we get to Appendix B, which, uh, you know, I've already mentioned. Uh, but now we can move on to the second rule, which I, you know, like I said, I don't think the rest of these will take quite as long. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the second rule tells players not to scheme and plot too much. We'll start again with Chris, but I don't really have much to say about him here. Uh, this rule was a big part of the reason he was originally voted out. Mm -hmm. But once he got back, well, I mean, it's hard to scheme and plot too much when you only have three days. Oh, I completely agree. And even I don't even think he was scheming and plotting too much. And that's what caused him to get voted out. He threw an idea out there. But well, I remember scheme and plot too much. Keep your secrets, you know, uh, secret. Right. That sort of thing. And he so, didn't do that. So I guess right. he didn't do well with this rule. <laughs> yeah. We already talked about that. Go back to that podcast. It was weeks ago. You know. <laughs> That's true. Um, you know, now, as for everyone else but Rick, they all had a serious problem with the part I just mentioned that says you have to keep your scheming secret. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, how many times have we said here, you've already mentioned it once, but how many times on previous podcasts or on Twitter or wherever I was, that they should never have made it so obvious that they were targeting Rick. Wherever like, you were, you're like in the grocery store. I was. People would come up to me, oh, nice survivor hat. Stop. They can't. <laughs> they they got to stop. Um, you know, and, and it, it led to a series of outcomes that didn't need to happen. Yeah. It mm -hmm. gave him the motivation to find and play idols. You know, Jeff Probst said in Entertainment Weekly that if Rick was in a strong alliance and unconcerned, who knows if he would have looked for idols as hard as he did. Yeah. It, and it also allowed him to play big at tribal council, like we talked about, since he didn't have to worry about becoming more of a target. As I discussed last week, when her whole body's a target, it can't be anymore. Yeah. And and that's the thing. When you are in front of the jury and the people who are playing the game are actually telling the jury he's going to win. Then you're telling the jury who to vote for. And that's right. That's exactly what they were doing at every tribal council, that he's the guy who's got it be voted out he's target number one i don't want to sit next to him at the end so thank you for making the jury's job that much easier if he is sitting in the final three right. we're going to vote for him because you already told us to well and it, it made chris's game that much easier as if he needed it mm. uh, because he came back he knew who would be the most willing to work with him because rick had nobody else right yeah yeah, the, the, everything was on the table as far as everyone wanting to vote out Rick and who was enemy number one. And and it really did. It just it didn't bode well for them because and this goes back to the the vote where they ended up when Aurora got voted out. Rick gets credit for it, even though that plan was in place before they even got into tribal. But nobody knew that because it was the Rick Devon show. They were letting him do that. And they should have been very clear. If you want to talk about letting the jury know what's happening, that wasn't Rick. That was us. We did that. Well, right. And that's where we get to the special corollary to rule two, which warns against players keeping their scheming too secret. Mm -hmm. And this season was chock full of people doing that. And it came back to bite one of them in the final tribal council because, you know, Gavin told Rob he isn't sure if it was a mistake on his part to not be vocal about the moves he made. Uh, well, I bet you know the, my answer to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so, very, very, it's a million dollar mistake yeah. right there. And, uh, you know, he explained that he was quiet at tribal council because he saw the loud ones being public enemy number one next. And I can understand that to an extent, but he still needed to at least remind the jury he was there. Yeah. And, 
you know, he seems to agree now saying if he could change one thing, he would have made the jury aware of the moves that they were making instead of giving credit to Rick. He said that was part of his strategy that he admits didn't work out and he was underestimated in the game because of it. And and this is key. And it's obviously something we've been saying here on Twitter, in the store for weeks now, to the point that Stephen gave me a shout out on the special fan cred know-it-alls the day after the finale for talking about how players should have claimed proper credit at tribal councils. Mm-hmm. Other people had argued that it didn't matter because if Rick made it to the end, he was winning anyway. But that was an incorrect binary view of the situation because they still needed to be able to claim credit to the jury, no matter who else was at the end with them. If yes. Rick was there, they still needed to try to find some argument. They couldn't just hand it to him. And if Rick wasn't there, well, we saw what happened. Yes. And that's that's the key component that it all comes back to is the only thing that the jury sees they only see what happens at tribal council, unless, of course, you get to spend 28 days with the person yeah, who ends up right. winning. But that's a whole different story. Yeah, so that would never happen. That would never happen. Right. But so whatever happens in tribal council is so significant because that is what they see. That is what they will remember. And that's what the jury is going to go back and talk about. They don't know what's happening back at the beach and how the strategy is coming together and who's planning what. So that's your time to really shine. And if someone is shining brighter than you, that's what the jury is going to remember. And that's what they're going to talk about. Oh, did you see how, you know, Rick responded to that and, and the idle play and that's the stuff that they're going to think about because they don't see anything else, which is unfortunate because someone shows up with an immunity necklace and you have no idea what happened to the immunity challenge because it's not talked about. Mm-hmm. So I do think that that particular component of this game is not utilized enough. And I think that's what Rick just knocked out of the park. He saw how important tribal council was as, as a, point for him to you know as a stage if you will here's Mm -hmm. my game and i'm going to show you what my game is because this is what's going to matter because the last thing that anyone wants to do is have to sit in the final three and then explain what their game was because if they didn't see it you're going to be explaining it and they've already kind of decided in their mind well we didn't see any of that happening but now you're going to tell us you did all of these things so it just kind of gets lobbed on them at the end. And it's 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 not enough time, I think, for them to really appreciate what your game is. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that, you know, that was going to be my next point is Lauren told Entertainment Weekly that that Rick had no idea what was going on at tribal councils because it was Victoria, Gavin and herself making the moves. And she thought, let him do this now. Let him make this show and then vote for the wrong person again. And then when we get to final three, I'll sit here and I will say this is what I did. Mm -hmm. And Victoria seemed to have a similar outlook based on what we saw on the show. And it's like you say, it, it ignores the many times we've seen recently where the idea of waiting until final tribal council just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Nope, it does not work. Their thoughts are already starting to crystallize. You can't just spring on them. Hey, I played a totally different game than you saw. Vote for me. I mean, very strange circumstances would have to happen for that to work. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Very strange circumstances. Mm -hmm. So, and and by the way, I I do want to say as a heads up to you and listeners, I think I'm going to move that special corollary to rule one uh, for next time, because I think it fits there better because it's becoming more and more important. And, you know, it's not keeping your scheming secret. It's the opposite. It it just started as but don't keep it too secret, but it's just grown in importance. So Mm -hmm. something to look forward to for next time. Oh, that means I get to do this again. 
You, well, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, in, unless we're we're canceled or something, but not that I know of. All right, well, that's Although good. it depends cool. how much All we right. rant for the rest of us. You know, I, I mean, know that's what be. I told my family. I might get fired after. Yeah, well, this you podcast, know, I, so. Rob said I am turned up. You are turned up. So at least so. if you put on a big show, then I can just sit back quietly and blame you. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> then the jury's going to award me the win. But. I know, but then you know, if we get canceled, it'll be your fault and not oh, mine. Oh, okay. I see how that works. Okay. <laughs> then everyone should buy a poster because it'll be like when a when an Limited artist editions? dies, yeah. right? You know, it's like wow. Now all of a sudden, it's worth that much more. Yeah. Well, let's not try to do that. Okay, but... let's not do that. Never mind. All right. Uh, before we move to the third rule, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. If there's one in your area, if not, we'll be back even quicker. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back. So let's go on to the third rule, which once again, uh, well, not once again, which talks about being flexible. Uh, when we look at Chris for this rule, I find that I, I don't have much to say. He came in with a plan. He knew what he needed to do. Mm -hmm. He didn't face any real adversity in that plan that would force flexibility, such as Lauren refusing to play her idol for him or Rick refusing to give him back the half idol. When he came back, flexibility just didn't come into play. Yeah, no, because it was like all lined up perfectly for him mm -hmm. in like a glowing rainbow. <laughs> like, yeah. Here's everything you need to win. Ta-da! Yeah, no, I, I really don't think that that had any significance for the five days that he was back in yeah. the game. Now, I do think Gavin's play made some great use of flexibility throughout his 39 days. He said at one point that there were times he had different routes to go. Mm -hmm. So he had to be socially aware and could go whichever path would most benefit him. He had to move around and he couldn't be set in his ways. Yes. And I, I will say this. One thing I remember in watching all of the episodes is, and it's not just Gavin. I would say that, you know, we've got other people who were, part of that comma six mm -hmm. that ended up like Victoria is another one. I think Gavin and Victoria really did it the most. All of a sudden you'd see them on the beach and they'd be talking to a new group of five or six and like, okay, this is the new six. Okay. This is the new five, you know? <laughs> and, and I, I was, I was very appreciative of that because he wasn't locking himself into any one group, but he was still circling around the same people. Mm -hmm. So I do think that he definitely was willing to be flexible and we saw how, flexible he was willing to be when the whole julia thing happened even though right. that wasn't the initial plan but it ended up being julia but he recovered from that so i do think that him recovering from that shows just how flexible he really was yeah and you know like you mentioned victoria made many of the same moves that gavin did and so she felt fell into that same area and lauren was another player who specifically talked about flexibility telling rob that when rick was immune 
she would target different threats while the other players were focused on him. And she added that you can't get laser focused on one person, yes. which we saw a lot of the others did just that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that is a great point. She definitely was focusing on other people and not focusing all of her attention on Rick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, now Julie, I think, showed some inflexibility and flexibility because mm-hmm. she was connected at the hip to Ron until Ron was gone. And but then she found that she had to jump around a bit. You know, she worked with Rick when she needed to. Then she tossed him aside, uh, which made him a little bitter uh, when she felt she didn't need him anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she was interesting because her her gameplay was not as fluid as someone like Gavin or Victoria that you could kind of figure out where they were going and what path they were taking. She really didn't follow that. And I don't know if that makes her more flexible because she she was kind of all over the place. But yeah, I do think that that her gameplay was, I think her flexibility came from, and we're going to get to that rule more of an emotional place. That's what I think. Okay. Now, as for Rick, I think he was in a place where he wanted to use the ultimate flexibility because he would have worked with literally anyone. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but he as we've talked about, he was left in a situation where nobody would work with him. So his only option was challenges and idols. And I think when he came back into the game, too, that he talked about how loyal he was to David and how that was almost a downfall for him because he was so loyal to David. And I think that allowed him a more of a freedom to be flexible when he came back into the game because he recognized being so tied to one person that eh, might not have benefited me if maybe I would played a little right. bit differently. It wouldn't have been me. Maybe it would have been someone else. So I think that opened up that willingness for him to be more flexible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We can move on to rule four. Which See, look players, at that. How quick we got. Through I know. Those I, said, I said rule one was the longest, uh, not to mention the long rants that came before that. Mm, um, yes. The, the the fourth rule tells players not to let their emotions control them. And we have a few things to discuss here, many of them involving Rick. Uh, we'll, we'll start at the end when Rick could have refused to give Chris back the half idol and thus left him vulnerable at, or would have left him vulnerable at that last tribal council vote. Mm-hmm. Strategically, it was the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. Though I, I do have to say, I don't think Rick felt the same need to vote out Chris because Rick probably believed he could beat Chris at a final tribal council. But putting that aside, since Chris was the biggest other threat at that point, Rick said in interviews that there was never a doubt that he'd give the half idol back to Chris. He saw Chris on edge of extinction and realized how much he had hurt him. He told Gordon Holmes, I very much betrayed him. We were close and I totally blindsided him. He was really kind of broken out there. And we had a lot of time to talk about how much this affected his family and future. We developed a very real friendship. So when he came back into the game, I did not have the heart to not give him that half back. I really believed mm. back then that it would have done serious damage to my friend. Now, how close did they become? Well, they quote unquote got married on the edge of extinction with Aubrey performing the ceremony. Can I just say this is another problem with edge of extinction? Well, yes. Um, yeah, it is. And, you know, but but that's how much they forgave each other. I know. And, but look at what they, it did to Rick's ability to play the game. I well. I mean, it did it or Rick did it. I mean, you know, he was the one who made the decision and he realizes what a strategic mistake that was and believes it cost him a million dollars. Although I guess it was 900,000 since Sia probably wouldn't have given him the hundred grand if he'd won. But, you know, he knows now he should have withheld it, but his emotions just got the better of him. Uh, I, I don't know if I should talk about this here, but I don't even think he should have taken it in the first place. 
Oh, that's an interesting uh, point. Uh, because then you don't have to struggle with that. If you if if the option is presented to you, I mean, he's the one who brought it up too. He's the one who brought it up. Yes, to Chris that's true. And said, "Hey, did you get anything in your bag?" He should have just left it alone, not said anything, because then he wouldn't have been in that situation. And Rick knew what type of struggle that situation was because he had already dealt with that with David and whether mm-hmm. or not David was going to give it back to him. So I think for the game that Rick was playing. And knowing that he didn't want to affect his friend that, you know, he married on the edge of extinction or whatever it was, <laughs> then he should have. So this whole marriage thing, you know, know. That just sounds wrong. He know. should have never even gone there. Don't even ask about it because you don't want to be in that situation because he didn't need it anyway. He had one immunity and then he had he had his own idol. So, like, why do you even put yourself in that situation? Because you're only going to be giving it back to Chris anyway. It's not like Chris is going to give you the other half and say, here, Rick, you use it. So yeah. Don't even put yourself in that situation. He should have never even gone there. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. I hadn't even thought of that. But, you know, that wasn't the only time that Rick's emotions got the better of him because we can remember back to when he returned to the game. You know, he mm-hmm. found out he was being targeted by the Lesu three, and then they participated in a plan to try to get him out. In that case, I, I think it was a combination of emotional and strategic uh, issues on his part when he reacted. And, I, you know, I may have mentioned this before, but I suspect he was thinking something along the lines of fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Try to fool me a third time. Screw you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but, didn't he say that? <laughs> he like, might have. He like might he said have. That. Uh, but, you know, so did he react emotionally, for example, to War Dog in that that scene of epic sarcasm? Well, yeah, it seems that way. Should he have responded differently to War Dog? Yeah. In the game, he should have. Mm-hmm. Do I understand why he didn't? Yeah, also, I I do. But despite what the anti-Rick squad was yelling all over social media after that episode, that emotional outburst didn't sever all his ties with War Dog or David, and he ended up getting back together with both of them. So Mm -hmm. it it wasn't as bad as it seemed at the time. Yes, no, and that is true. And I I do think that he also recognized what was happening and 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 even commenting that way it was almost like he was making a decision to come across as being emotional because it was part of his strategic game plan hmm. i guess we'd have to ask him that i don't know i think he was just pissed personally no i um, because here's the thing he said it too and we, i've already talked about it he was all in he was playing poker and he was all in so I don't think that someone like Rick playing in the mindset that he was in and knowing what he wanted to accomplish with his game since he had a second chance to play it wouldn't have understood how that would be perceived. And I I think that he did it on purpose. That's my I opinion. I'll ask him when I see him in okay. August. Okay. He's going to be mean, a hard to reality. Yay! Yeah. So, I, I mean, you can ask him. Uh, but I, I mean, my thing is... It, you know, it was understand an understandable emotional reaction. Oh, absolutely. Which is why I don't, you know, I mean, he and Wardog had been fairly close. They voted him out. He came back. He finds out that they're working against him again. And Wardog approaches him and he's like, no, go away. F you, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know but there's also a strategic portion of that uh, because it is possible to make a move that's strategically correct in your mind and have emotions about it, too. Yes. It, one doesn't preclude the other when. You know, when he went against the Lesu three at that point, I think both were happening simultaneously. Yes. Oh, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and of course, Rick wasn't the only one who showed their emotions out there. We certainly saw it out of Julie, who even argued in final tribal council that her emotions were her strategy. 
spoiler for Appendix B, the jury didn't buy it. No, that was and, an interesting argument, too. Yeah. Yeah. And she admitted in a post finale social media Q&A that her actions in the, the crazy tribal council where she ran across and said she was jumping ship was not the best thing to do in front of the jury because juries don't typically reward emotional players. And yeah, she's right about that. But mm-hmm. but there were times when she did a good job controlling her emotions, such as when Ron voted out Kelly instead of Aurora and didn't tell Julie in advance. She said to him right after that that she held nothing against him. And as emotional as she can be, she isn't emotional in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, this goes to the kind of flip flopping that she did with the game is that sometimes there would be an outburst. Other times there wouldn't be when you would expect one. And I do think that that particular tribal council, the outburst was a lot more than anyone had really expected. Yeah. And um, and I, I don't think it was a good look for her, even though it kind of set things in motion or it helped move things further that had already been set in motion. People ended up taking advantage of her emotional state and you saw War Dog and Devin's jump on it and say to her, who do you want? Who do you want to go home? Now, I know she was kind of claiming that vote saying, well, she was the one that made that happen. Now, I do think that it was more of a War Dog and Devin's realizing what was happening and saying, here's the person we need to talk to because she's going to get us where we need to get to. And let's make her feel very significant right now, which is exactly what they did. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, moving on to the others, I think the other members of the final six did a, a generally a good job in controlling their emotions. Chris certainly had to put his aside in order to pull the several con jobs he worked on Lauren and Rick. Mm-hmm. And indeed, he manipulated their emotions while keeping his own in check. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he was the reverse. What was it again? The reverse I, negative or whatever. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Negative, reverse, reverse, <laughs> negative, negative reverse. double negative. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he pulled that off fabulously yeah. well. Yeah. And and then the others, Gavin, Victoria and Lauren also went through the game without letting their emotions really dictate their actions. Mm-hmm. I already mentioned how War Dog said Victoria was a stone cold killer. Yes. Uh, you know, Lauren wanted revenge on War Dog for voting out Kelly, but she knew she couldn't be emotional about it and had to get her ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. And Gavin had to make the decision about whether to vote out Ron right after Ron had just taken him and his new wife on the family visit reward. Gavin made the right move, noting that he had to separate his heart from the game. I do have to add something here about Victoria, though, because I this I thought was a little bit interesting. I think an emotional moment for her in this game was who she voted for to win this game, because she talked about it in her exit press that she ended up voting for Chris, even though she had said, I'm going to vote for Gavin when she left the game. But she did that because she was hoping that the other people left in the game would see Gavin as a potential winner and would then vote him out because she didn't want him to win because she was mad because he had turned his back on her. Right. And, and so, yeah, we'll, I mean, sorry to cut you off. We'll get okay. to that in Appendix B. This, this just, just, you know, for listeners, this is the emotions while you're still in the game. Yeah, I didn't know if how this, it that counted. Your game. See, these are uh, all the rules. So, I didn't write the rules. I just try to I follow know. them. So Bloomberg That's has right. to tell me when I'm wrong. And on the poster, it doesn't go into that much detail. <laughs> so like I'll the Cliff's to, Notes version. Right, it is. I'll have to go back and read, what is it, 26 pages? <laughs> I, well, I don't even know anymore. Um, so... All right, we can move on to the fifth rule, which discusses how players have to pretend to be nice and play the social game. And as it turns out, there were actually two social games going on, one in the actual game and one on Extinction Island. Yeah, (laughs) Rick got to play the second one for a few days, but 
there weren't many people there, and the only one not from his tribe was Aubrey, who had been blindsided and therefore didn't know much of anything that was really going on in her tribe to be of use to him. Mm-hmm. Chris, however, had plenty of time to play this version of the social game. In his preseason interviews, Chris talked about being a dive instructor and wanting to play up the nature boy aspect of himself and fish, cook, etc., which he apparently did a good job of right. on Extinction Island. You know, he, he even told the jury who was also there with him, uh, <laughs> that he was outside of the game, but still in the game, making genuine, honest relationships and catching fish and cooking rice as part of his social game. Uh huh. Just he look at it. the fact that Reem, even though that's a whole nother mm-hmm. part of this game that doesn't make any sense that she was part of the jury, but I love Reem, but um, hated Chris. And then was like his biggest like advocate, like cheering right. him on at Final Tribal. And why is that? Because... But- he was able to make amends. I mean, look at what happened with Rick, for God's sakes. We just That's talked right. about how it affected Rick's game because of the relationship that they created on Edge of Extinction. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Ugh. And, you know, then when Chris got back into the game, he went to work on leveraging his previous relationships, including mm-hmm. his now new best friend, Rick, or spouse. Um, and, uh, you know, L- Lauren uh, also because he, he knew how to play her and then the others as well. Joe told Rob in a post finale interview that he doesn't think he could have done what Chris did because he didn't have the relationships Chris had with those people. And I think the same might be true about most of the people from the edge. But Chris went beyond just talking to them. He told Gordon Holmes he had he had asked Ron to write a letter to him saying, trust Chris, using a piece of coal on parchment, telling Julie that she could trust him. He, He tried to use that a little bit to get more information from her on how she and Lauren were thinking. And I have two thoughts about this. Okay. One brilliant play from Chris to use Julie's ally against her. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Two, it is absolutely ridiculous that the producers allowed this. Oh, I know it, it is bad enough to come back with alleged communications from the jury, but to come back with a written communication is just, mind boggling to me. Yes. When I when my my coworker was the one who first told me this, I was flabbergasted mm-hmm. and thought he must have misread something. Nope, it was there in black and white, just like Ron's note apparently was. I am I am beyond shocked that the producers allowed this. I, it, the whole thing is shocking. That all of that is horrifying. The fact that you are able to make amends with people who are going to be on the jury. And that is when you are in the game, when you are playing survivor, the one thing that you continue to swirl around in your brain is who did I anger the most and who doesn't like me that's sitting over there. And there was quite a few that I could have pointed out that I knew or (laughs) I'm not going to get their vote because unfortunately there can be bitter juries. There can be bitter jurors and they can determine their vote based on that bitterness. And he didn't have to deal with that because he had time to make everything wonderful with all of these people, not only, you know, feeding them, providing for them, taking care of them, but yes, manipulating them so much so that he was able to bring stuff back into the game with him, not communications and an actual written piece of paper or parchment from someone who's on the edge of extinction. Like what is happening to the game of Survivor. That's not okay. It's not no. okay. No, it is not. I mean, that, it, it, that's that's probably the worst thing that you know came out of all of this. But yeah, anyway, getting back. Well, well, you just brought up this other point. 
And, and I'm going to mention, because uh, you made a, the same point that Stephen Fishback also made all over the place, his blog, Twitter, and the podcast, which is the signature challenge of Survivor, is how do you vote people out of the game in such a way that they're mm-hmm. willing to vote for you to win? Yes. Chris didn't have to do any of that. Nope. Rather than having to betray his tribe mates, Chris spent a month feeding them healing wounds, building bonds, getting married. Um, Mm -hmm. He he didn't need to have the same type of social game. He didn't need to worry that the jury would be bitter for turning on them, as some of them apparently were. He, He wasn't in the game to have to worry about that. Right. No, he was able to just focus on... That one part of the game that people seem to feel is lost, and that is the social component of this game, because people are very frustrated with the idols and the twists and all of these extra advantages and all of these things that Survivor has created. And we're losing sight of the social part of the game. But he didn't have to worry about the idols and advantages because he wasn't playing Survivor. He was living on an island with all of these other people waiting for an opportunity to come back into the game. And I feel like that's the part that everyone seems to be forgetting is that Edge of Extinction, the whole idea was to get back into the game. And people keep saying, well, they were still playing Survivor. No, they were playing Edge of Extinction, (laughs) trying to get back into the game. And what, what were they doing? They were hanging out with each other. They were sitting by the fire. They were talking. They were telling stories. They weren't having to think about the game because the game wasn't actually happening around them. It was just social hour for a long time. Yeah. And Gavin, on the other hand, had to rely on his social game to go 39 days without receiving a single vote. You know, per per his social media Q&A, Gavin said he used his social game to avoid being seen as a threat. And it worked. In one of his interviews, he was asked if he thought Chris had an unfair advantage because he had bonded with so much of the jury, you know, at the edge of extinction, while he and Julie were not allowed to do that at all. And Gavin, to his credit, answered honestly, saying, yes, 100 mm-hmm. percent. He noticed that 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 the same people Gavin had voted out, Chris was there to bring in and be buddy buddy with. Gavin became friends with people in the game and they were looking out for each other until he needed to cut them. He burned Aubrey, Joe, Ron, Eric, and those were the same people who voted for Chris while among the same people after they got to know a side of Chris that wasn't necessarily strategic. It was just on a human level. He even added that as one example, we saw the fire making challenge where Reem was cheering Chris on and Gavin wondered, how is he supposed to compete with Chris when he'd never even met Reem? Yes. And and that's another part of this, too, is that you have someone like Reem who has never met Julie or Gavin, but has had a very close relationship with Chris. And you have someone like Joe who did actually play the game with Gavin and Julia or Julie, excuse me, but didn't play the game with Chris, but ended up voting for Chris probably because yes, did he do some great things with the five days that he was in the game? Sure. But they had clearly bonded when they were, out on the edge of extinction together, you know, so it's this whole weird mashup of relationships that would have never existed otherwise that I think truly swayed the vote. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we'll get to that more. We on, will. Uh, Appendix oh, B. we will. Um, uh, moving on from from that, another guy who did have a good social game was Rick. And I say that despite what a number of the anti Rick crowd was saying on social media, mm-hmm. uh, their thought was apparently that he couldn't have had a good social game if he was that big a target which ignores the difference between social game and strategic game. 
I, I tried to explain this on Twitter. It, it didn't usually work very well. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, you can use your social game as strategy, but there are times when you can have all the friends in the tribe and they will still want you out. Yes. You know, this was the situation with Rick. Uh, Dalton Ross even said to Jeff Probst in a post finale interview, judging by the constant jury fawning over Rick and the standing ovation when he was ousted, he had an incredible social game. And indeed, Rick noted in his social media Q&A that even though everyone wanted him out, they had a lot of fun at camp. You mentioned it already. Aurora literally said in the game that they love Rick. And Victoria said in her Entertainment Weekly interview that the edit didn't really show her or anyone having a human relationship with Rick. So she wished that was shown. Mm -hmm. Rick's problems didn't stem from the social game, except maybe that the other players worried he was too well liked, which we'll talk about in the next rule. Yeah. And that I really do think that's what it boiled down to is he was too well liked. He was he was a nice guy that you couldn't help but like. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah some people could help but like him. But uh, <laughs> but what? OK, so uh, moving on, what did you think of Julie's social game? I think that Julie had again, it was a, it was a more of a quiet social game, but she created the relationships that she needed to create with the people that I think could bring her further along in the game. I was very concerned with her before the game started that she was just going to find herself kind of on the outs because unfortunately she is the older woman on the tribe and that she might not be able to connect with these individuals who are on her tribe, but she did the exact opposite and she did formulate or create relationships with all of the people that she needed to, including she focused on the older people in the tribe, too, knowing that they would have to kind of rely on each other. And Ron was one of the individuals that she focused on. So I do think that Julie had a good mindset about her of who she needed to create these bonds with and how she could use those relationships moving forward in her game. So I think she did. I think she did very well. Emotionally, yes, yeah, she had some outbursts, but I still don't think that that she did anything that was offensive. Uh, I don't think she upset people, but I also don't think that, you know, overall people were necessarily as impressed with her from what we saw with well, the yeah. final three, clearly. Yeah. I mean, she said she'd been playing since day one in her own way by getting everyone's support and giving support back. And and she said she got to the end because of her relationships that she's built. Mm -hmm. it, it looked like she saved herself with her social game after Ron was voted out by leveraging her relationship with Lauren. Yeah. And that that is a key component is that she was willing to find the individual that she needed at that very moment. Like even her taking Chris on the reward, which mm -hmm. all of us kind of were like, what, why is she feeding him? <laughs> but I think in her mind, it was a benefit to her by bringing him along. And, and I, I do think that that's why she ended up making a lot of the decisions that she made with her game was because she thought that that relationship would benefit her and get her further in the game, even though sometimes it didn't always make sense. Yeah. Now, as for the others, uh, you, know, you know, Lauren did very well in the social game as she moved through the game. Uh, she said in her social media Q&A that she made genuine relationships because it matters how you make people feel. Uh, mm -hmm. Victoria, on the other hand, admitted in her own social media Q&A that she struggles a little socially in large groups of people. You couldn't tell. Well, I mean, we didn't see enough of her to tell. <laughs> I know. That's the unfortunate component yeah, of I mean, it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we can move on. And the sixth rule warns against being too much of a threat, which we, you know, hinted at before. And there was plenty of that going around this season. Mm -hmm. uh, let's start with the biggest threat of them all. Public enemy number one, Rick Devins. Yes. I mentioned on previous podcasts that Rick 
laid it all out to Ron and Wardog that they were each other's biggest threat and biggest hope. He said that others would want to build their resumes and none would want to take himself, Wardog, or Ron to the end. He added in a confessional that they needed each of them as a shield because if one of them went out, it would be a feeding frenzy. Mm-hmm. And everything he said came to pass because they just couldn't work together. Once Ron and Wardog were gone, that left only Rick from the trio and everyone wanted him gone. Mm-hmm. Rick I mentioned was a huge threat. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I mentioned Rick's social game a couple minutes ago and how the other players probably worried he was too well liked, especially by the jury. At the beginning of episode 11, Lauren said she wanted to take out Rick because he posed a threat to everyone. Victoria said she didn't want to sit next to Rick in the final three. Aurora said anyone in this game will lose to him. Gavin said if he were to go to the end with Rick, Rick beats him. And they were all right. After he was knocked out at fire making, Rick was greeted at Ponderosa by everyone singing to him. And when he asked them if he was going to win, it sure sounded to me like there were a lot of yeses being said. Yeah. David, David flat out said he was voting for him. Ron said he was the odds on favorite to win. I mean, how about the fact that Gavin and I think Julie said the same thing, wanted to actually make fire against him to take him out of the game because he was the person to beat. So I, I think all of that just, shows how much of a threat he was that people were willing to go to such extreme measures. I mean, we saw what Chris did in order to take out the guy that was everyone wanted to beat because everyone knew if he's sitting there, he's going to win. And it wasn't a secret. Everybody talked about it in front of the jury. He was clearly a threat on so many levels. He came into this game. I don't think anyone really expected him to perform as well as he did in the challenges, but He showed that he could perform exceptionally well in the challenges. He won immunity, what, four times? Um, You know, found idols. I mean, just all of these things that you add that to his social gameplay and his ability to talk to the jury and perform in front of the jury and to really give them something fun to watch. I think that overall, yes, he was absolutely a huge threat, huge threat, and he would have completely won the game if he had been sitting there. I'm so sad he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, in the later part of the season, I've been thinking Rick was similar to the way David Wright was in your season. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I've even mentioned it here previously in that he was the clear winner if he made it to final three. And also, whoever took him out was likely to get credit if they were able to show their work. Yes, absolutely. Now, and I think it's worth adding here, too, that I realize that he is someone who was voted out and went to the edge of extinction and came back in. And and I seem to be saying a lot of different things about Chris versus Rick. But the difference really is the amount of time that was spent there. I think Mm -hmm. I think Devin spent six days there and it was it was pre-merge and Chris spent 28 days there. So I think there's a significant difference there with with each of their time on edge of extinction, but also the amount of work that he had to put into the game to stay in the game was huge. And that, that I think just speaks volumes of, of how much of a threat he was because everybody wanted him out. Right. Yeah. Now the downside of this is that when Chris came back, so many people were so focused on Rick that they missed the elephant in the room who had just spent weeks with the jury. They missed that elephant. All right. uh, Chris should have been seen as the biggest possible threat, but Mm -hmm. he was able to hide himself and get into their heads. He said in an interview 
that with everyone gunning for Rick, he could fly under the radar because they also perceived Victoria as a bigger threat than he was. Knowing that part going into it affected how he was going to play. He said that if they were smart, they would have voted him out as soon as he got back in. Yeah. Uh, And how did he know all of this again? How did he know all of that information about Um, the jury? Where did that come from? I I don't know. Mm. I have no idea. So strange that he knew all of that. We'll we'll have to go to my notes when we get to Appendix B. I I might say something about it then. Okay. Um, But anyway, you know, it did seem like Victoria was the only one who recognized how big a threat Chris was. Mm -hmm. And, And like I said, Chris knew oh from the jury there it is in my notes right there shocking yeah that she was a big threat he had to eliminate yeah Uh, to do that he further worked to lower his own threat level as he described to Mike Bloom you know dummying himself up to get information he noted that it's always better for someone to tell you something than for you to tell them the same thing Mm -hmm. that's part of why he wasn't as threatening as soon as he got back he was pandering to Rick Julie and Lauren's gameplay so they could use him as a vote. Oh, yeah, totally. And even the scene that they showed when they got back to the beach and he was introducing himself to Victoria. Oh, yeah. And then explaining to them that he's just, you know, physically he's not all there and mentally he's really not all there. Really mm-hmm. kind of making him seem like he's down and out, really. Like, oh, Edge of Extinction's taking oh, so, so much drained. out of me. Right. Yeah. But if you want to talk to me, I've got some information. I, I, that to me seemed so forced and fake, but I guess they bought into it because yeah. it worked. It clearly right. worked. Yeah. And Victoria told Entertainment Weekly that Chris coming back sealed her fate because people saw him as someone to work with instead of take out. Yeah. And, you know, if someone more threatening had come back in, maybe someone who didn't know how to hide it like him or just maybe, maybe someone like Joe or Kelly. Victoria thinks they would have been out right away. Yeah, but do you also think that maybe, maybe he wasn't also seen as a threat coming back because he'd only played the game for eight days. Well, right. So people didn't see how he was even playing the game other than Rick, really. So it's, and Lauren saw some of it, but there was nothing about him before he left the game that showed he was this really big threatening guy i think he helped them win one immunity challenge i think that he was he was very they never won an immunity okay they didn't win an immunity maybe it was a reward i know there was something i remember him talking about how like he really he really brought it home for him it was probably a reward but yeah but there wasn't anything that made him appear to be this huge threat to win the game not like a joe i think if joe had come back in everyone would have been like joe's got to go because joey amazing but it was it was almost like he came back and everyone was like, who's Rick? Who's this guy? Like, I mean, seriously, when people don't even know who he is because they've never I mean, played the game with him. Who's Chris? See, you or, don't even see, know. See, now I'm getting all confused. But yeah. yeah, so who's Chris? You know, where you've got Victoria who's meeting him for the first time. I think Julie did too. Right. I mean, it's it's just one of those situations where, of course, he could kind of be forgotten about because nobody even knew who he was. Yeah. And uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, as we uh, move move down the list of uh, players here, Victoria, for her part, knew all along that she could avoid being seen as a threat if she worked it right. And you mentioned it somewhat already. Uh, but then in an episode seven web confessional, she said there were a lot of bigger targets ahead of her. So she wanted to draw less attention. In episode 10, she noted that there were a lot scarier people there than her. And she also noted at another point that if you start bragging about how you got people out, you become a threat and a target. 
Mm-hmm. It turned out that her gameplay made her enough of a threat for Chris to come in and target her right away. You know, and and Lauren did tell Gordon Holmes that even before Chris got there, they knew Victoria was a threat. Lauren didn't want to sit next to her in the end. And I will not be the first person to say this, but uh, and we've already talked about earlier. I wish the editors had shown us more of what Victoria the threat was doing as the game went along. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I wish the same because it's again, I, I, it's, I think I mentioned this previously. I don't know if it was about Victoria, but there's that, that Allison component to it as well. You know, where we, we heard all about Allison last season and how she was this huge threat. If she was sitting in the final three and everyone was kind of going, wait, what, what, what did we miss? I mean, Mm she again, seemed like a great person. She was clearly playing the game. Well, but it's the same thing with Victoria, where they they limited so much of what we saw about Victoria's game that we have to rely on what we're hearing from people who are on the jury who are talking about it later in order to put it all together. Yeah. Now, as for Lauren herself, uh, Rick noted that she had played the most strategic game of those remaining. Mm-hmm. And indeed, that's why many viewers, including me, figured if the players finally got rid of Rick, Lauren was the most likely winner. But Chris also knew that Lauren you know, had a good shot with the jury at that point. So he and Rick both agreed that she was the biggest threat at that point. Yeah. And God damn the idol. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, that's I, the well, fact hold on. that I mean, no, we're about to go into rule seven, which I is know. idols. So well, you want to just go ahead? Well, here's the thing. And this is what I will say. She had the ability to hold on to that for so long and be so sure of herself in the game and where votes were falling and what was happening that she didn't need to play it. I think that's pretty significant for for her to have that ability, because, man, if she had not played it incorrectly. <laughs> She, I, yeah, that's that's sad to me. That's very sad because I do think that she would have been she would have been an interesting one to see in the final three because I think she had significant she had a significant enough game that she definitely could have been a contender. I think if right. she had been sitting there, absolutely. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, Stephen said on Twitter that it was one of the most nonsensical survivor moves ever. Mm-hmm. Lauren herself left the game saying, I'm so dumb. I had a real idol that would have gotten me to final four. I appreciated how she came to Ponderosa in such good spirits and could immediately laugh at herself. Mm-hmm. But there was still the question of why she did it. And Lauren had her own answer, which I'll get to in a minute. But I have an answer, too, which is that Lauren paid the price for everybody criticizing Laurel from Ghost Island. Mm. You know, Lauren could have gone into the final four, but I'm betting she had what happened to Laurel dancing in the back of her head, consciously or subconsciously, especially since we know producers showed them the ghost Island finale just before hitting the beach. The goal was clearly to get them to make big moves Mm -hmm. and Lauren wouldn't want to be the Laurel of this season. Mm -hmm. So she gambled. Lauren explained in interviews that she wanted to sit at the end with a combination of Chris, Gavin and Julie, which meant Rick or Victoria had to go. Rick had an idol and she had heard Victoria push for Chris but she wanted Victoria gone and figured, you know, Rick would also want Victoria gone. With that in mind, she believed Chris would get two votes. Victoria would get one. Rick would get the rest. If Rick played the idol and it was real, then she figured she would play the idol for Chris in order for Victoria to get voted out, especially so Lauren could be the one who got credit for that as a big move. And all of this makes sense to an extent especially if you keep in mind what I said about images of Laurel probably ringing in her head, but it was all a ploy by Chris 
who said in an interview that he wanted to use Lauren's idol to both diminish her game and elevate his. Yeah, but here's the thing. If you want to get Victoria out and you want to get Chris out, well, if you know that you can get Chris out, then just get Chris out. Do Victoria next time. I mean, to be fair, she didn't know Chris had an idol. Oh, yeah. We got to talk about that, too. Oh, um, well, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, she could have done either. She, you know, but she she the thing is, she wanted she was OK sitting with Chris at the end. She was not OK sitting with Victoria at the end. Yeah. So if you've got the chance to take out a threat, take out the threat. No, and I understand him. Mean, if that's if that's where her mindset was, that she thought he was better to be sitting with at the end than Victoria, then okay. I understand yeah. that. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, speaking of that idol, uh, you, you must have been uh, reading my notes here. One thing a lot mm. of people legitimately complained about, sounds like you're about to, mm-hmm. was Chris being handed an idol when he returned. I mean, okay, yeah, he had to convince someone to hold on to half and give it back to him. But other people who were in the game actually had to search for idols. And if he pulled it off, which he did, that meant he only had to survive one actual vote. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I have to say, well, you go ahead and rant. Okay, here's my problem. We all know that idols are very significant in the survivor world that we find ourselves in. And we also know that the last time you can play an idol is five. We also know that people are very mindful of how many idols have been played and how many might be in the game. And so this is a constant math equation that is happening in people's brains. So when idols are introduced that are unexpected, It's unfair for those people who are playing the game, being very mindful of where the idols are at. And someone like Lauren, who's held on to her idol for so long and is very mindful of I can only play this up until five and I need to make sure I play it right in order for it to matter. So now you have someone who's coming in who hasn't been playing the game, who really is coming in with a huge advantage as far as the jury is concerned. He's I mean, I. He's coming in with every possible advantage I can think of. And then you're going to be like, oh, and here, by the way, we're going to give you a freebie besides. So you really only have to survive one vote. There's this whole weird give half to somebody else. And if you're still here, then you get to play it. That's all ridiculous. And I don't I I, because, again, he's he's receiving an additional benefit because that person who he's giving the other half to is more likely to say, well, I don't want to vote this guy out just in case. Or maybe the person will say, I will want to vote him out because he's going to have an idol. It all depends on who he ends up playing that idol with and who does he play it with, with Rick, the guy who he's formed a relationship with on Edge of Extinction. So you're just you're just handing him every potential advantage. It shouldn't be that easy to get to the final four. It just shouldn't be. And I think it's ridiculous that they made it so easy for him to cruise into the final four. Yeah. And, you know, people may be saying, well, what about Rick? He got the same thing. And there's a couple things. Yeah, there. it's different. One, well, one, it is different because he couldn't cruise right into the final four. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and two, yeah, I, I'd have been okay with them not giving him anything. I mean, he already got to come back into the game. Hey, he didn't, think about he this. He didn't need to have a free idol either. He so, got two shots to get back in the game, too. Right. So, so uh, now, the one thing I will say is that I suspect if Chris hadn't been given that idol, Rick would have used his on Chris because remember he didn't need it because he won immunity and he ended up using it on Gavin, which was a meaningless gesture mm-hmm. uh, at the final five vote. So the end result might have been the same. He, you know, 
Chris might have still ended up being immune thanks to Rick, but that's not the point. You know, the point is that that's results oriented. The right. point and is it was given to him. Yes. And the, the, the idol. And this is the other thing, too, with idols. The idol that Rick had that he played was one that he had to find. So mm-hmm. it wasn't one that was just magically in his bag. Yes, he had one of those before. But this magical component where the producers are just slipping things into people's bags. I don't like that at all, because the idea with idols is you have to know who has them. You have to know who's getting voted out in order to play it correctly so you can get credit for that idol. I mean, that, that's the whole that's the whole idea is you have to find it and then you actually have to play it right. And so Rick found an idol and yeah, give him an opportunity if he wants to play it on Chris because he thinks it's going to help his game and it's going to it's going to be one more notch in his belt. Great. He played an idol that he found and he played it correctly. But now you have an idol that is given to someone in their bag. And they have to play it at five. They can only play it at five. He, he couldn't mm-hmm. even play it at the first the first vote. So it, it's like, so he knows he's got a pass. He knows he doesn't need to win immunity at that at that five. I mean, it, all of it is just mind blowing to me. It's absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. Now you know, as for Rick and his many idols, Aubrey spoke for many. In Rick's Ponderosa video, when she said that she'd heard complaints that he had so many advantages, I guess she was able to, you know, how sometimes we can go back into the past and curse people. I guess she was able to read future Twitter and Reddit threads. Mm-hmm. Um, and in any case, she replied that he had those, quote, because he went and got them. Yeah. And then she added he had to decide how to use them every single time. She said he fought every day he was in the game and for every single minute. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he did indeed play his idols well. He refused, uh, for example, to confirm to Lauren that he even found the first idol in the jungle. And once he knew how big his target was, he told Entertainment Weekly he was just working a lot harder at looking for them because he had nothing to lose. We discussed that much earlier. He noted that if the others had gone and looked that hard, maybe they'd, you know, end up on the bottom of their four person group because they would have had to spend so much time away. He had no need to you know strategize because they made it so clear that they would never work with him as we discussed in the second rule yes and he emphasized how hard it was you know he talked about yeah you see it in 30 seconds but he was digging around for eight hours through cobwebs all over the island and then said in another interview that any player who doesn't go out there and take advantage of every rule in the game is making it more difficult on themselves if he could find an idol and it meant people on reddit get upset but he could stay in the game while well, he was going to find that idol. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that you have to be mindful of is the the circumstances that he found himself in. When you are out looking for idols, you don't want anybody to know that that's what you're doing because that puts a target on your back. Right. Well, yeah, he already had one on his back, so it didn't matter. And that, his front and his head and his legs right. and his hands. Yeah. So he so it gave him free reign to really go out and look. I think at one point they were even joking about the fact, oh, Rick must be out looking for an idol. And when they mm-hmm. were around the fire because he had nothing else to do. There was no opportunity for him to strategize, like you said, because no one would strategize with him. So he was taking advantage of the game that was provided to him, which I know people would say, well, didn't Chris do the same thing? Sure. Chris took advantage of the game that was provided to him. Absolutely. 100%. I'm not begrudging that. I'm begrudging the fact that they handed him a free idol for five that I'm, I'm begrudging that. Yes. Now, you know, one thing that many people asked about why nobody, nobody followed Rick. 
Uh, they talked about it, but we didn't really see it until he decided to play games with them after he'd already found an idol. Mm-hmm. And Ron told Rob that everyone else was so weak they would practically black out just standing up and walking a short distance. But Rick had an undying energy to run around and look for idols. Um, maybe that's why he ended up losing the most weight of everyone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Victoria told Entertainment Weekly that she, they did follow him often, and she described a time when he took off with a machete and she followed him up over a big hill onto the another side of the beach, despite how depleted she was. It turned out he was just practicing fire making, but she stayed with him for hours just to be sure. Uh, you know, Lauren uh, asked Gordon Holmes, what can you do other than beat him in immunity challenges or tackle him before he grabs an idol? At some point, you have to eat. The rice would be ready. He'd be searching. They had to tend to the fire. They took shifts. They tried following him. But at some point, you have to play the game. And like Rick mentioned, and and you mentioned, if you're out there alone following Rick, what's everyone else talking about? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. They're talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, you know, as for the others, all of them noted that they understood the importance of finding idols and they did look for them. They just didn't find them. So they weren't shown, which is my general presumption for any given player who isn't shown. Oh, and here's an interesting thing we should note, too. When Lauren found her idol, one of the things she said in a web confessional was she was using it for herself 100 percent. She wasn't going to tell anybody that she had it. Perhaps that Uh... was a mistake for her. Because she did end up obviously playing it for someone else and shouldn't have, but she told Kelly about it. Mm-hmm. And what did Kelly do? Oh, here comes Extinction Island again. Yeah. And she told everyone secrets and right away that Lawrence got an idol. And what did Chris do? He used that information when he came back into the game, which he shouldn't have known that information because she never told Chris. She told Kelly, who then showed Everyone, you know, told everyone on the island. Right, so right. there's that, too. Yeah. Yeah, there is. All right. Uh, I know everyone's eager to get to Appendix B, uh, but we're going to and I'm going to help here because we're going to skip through Appendix A because the votes leading up to the final four were both used to target the bigger threats, as we discussed in Rule 6. And, you know, they should be at this point in the game. The same was true when Chris took on Rick and firemaking to eliminate the strongest of the contenders. So there, there's really not much more to say in Appendix A at this point. Mm-hmm. I agree. Let's get on to Appendix B. All right. Now, this talks about setting up the jury and what to do when you have to make your case to them. Mm-hmm. Of course, nobody in the history of Survivor has ever faced a situation where their opponent had such an incredible advantage as Chris did here. Right. A few weeks ago, I asked you, because you're a prosecutor, mm-hmm. what you would think of the idea of a defendant hanging out and making friends with the jury for a few weeks before coming back so they could render a, ju- a, a, a verdict. And uh, as I recall, you were not in favor of that idea. Not at all. And he, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this point again, even though we've already talked about it briefly before. One of the things as an attorney who is a trial attorney that we are told before the trial even starts, when we are picking our jury, when we are going through jury selection, there is a very large amount of time spent on the fact that the jurors and the attorneys and the judge, they can't speak to each other. Like, and the judge will explain if, if you see me in the hall or if you see one of the prosecutors in the hall or the defense attorney in the hallway, they're not being rude. If they don't say anything to you, they are not allowed to speak to you because if we do end up speaking to a juror, we can actually cause a mistrial. If somebody sees me yucking it up with a juror in the hallway, like the defense attorney might see that 
they could go back and they can tell the judge. Then there's an inquiry and the, and the juror spoken to. It turns into a whole mess and it could cause a mistrial. So nobody wants to do that. So we don't. And they do that to maintain the integrity of the system that our country has put in place. And that is that the jury is not unfairly swayed by anything other than the evidence that is being presented in the trial itself. And here we have an incredible example of why this rule is in place, (laughs) but it came from Survivor. The fact that someone who is sitting in a final three making their arguments as to why they should win Survivor got to spend 28 days with the members of the jury. What is happening to the game of Survivor? It's not fair. It is not fair at all. That's a mistrial all day long every day. Yeah. And, you know, I I have more to add to it, but I almost don't have more to add to it because, you know, you said it so well. But, hey, that never stopped me. Go for it. it. Dalton Ross said in an article that Chris won Survivor after making friends with almost the entire jury by having an opportunity to make amends and bond with them outside of the game against the common universal foes that had voted them out, while the other two finalists were awarded no such opportunity. Mm -hmm. He thought it was unfair that almost anyone who got back in close to the end had a massive advantage due to the bonds formed in that setting when nobody actually had to backstab each other. Mm -hmm. As we discussed earlier, it was where people went to make amends, which is something you can't do when you're still actively playing in the game. I agree 100% with what he said, but it was even worse than that. Okay. Entertainment Weekly asked Rick if Chris had an advantage in the game that that he was able to kiss and make up to most of the jury in a non-game setting at Edge. And Rick said the advantage was monumental. Mm -hmm. He noted that he had a great relationship with everyone who was there at the time he won his way back in because the only thing you have over there is time to make peace with these people. Chris not only had had all of that, but he was providing them with rice, coconut, and fish while Julie and Gavin were scrambling to stay alive in the game. Mm-hmm. Rick added that Chris then came back into the game with all that information from the edge. The fact that Lauren had an idol, the written notes from some players that I already ranted about once, etc. As Rick said, these are monumental advantages in the game. Mm-hmm. And how about the fact that something as simple as a nap? Rick mentioned a nap. He said, on the edge of extinction, I could go nap for four hours and nobody cared. You do that. You do. You disappear for four hours when you're actually playing Survivor. There are no naps when you're playing Survivor, by the way. I mean, you might close your eyes for five minutes, but it's you're not taking a four hour nap. Anything that you do when you are playing the actual game of Survivor is looked at, is talked about, is noticed. Everything, whether or not you open a coconut, people will pay attention to. Whether or not you take a little extra spoonful of rice is going to be noted. And all of this is going to fester in people's brains. And then they're going to decide that you need to go because you're driving them crazy. And there's that ability to do that. But when you're on the edge of extinction, that doesn't exist anymore. You don't have to worry about all. Yeah, you might you might frustrate Reem and she might get mad at you because of where you're sitting, but it doesn't matter because Reem can't do anything about it because you're not getting voted out. So it, and, oh, I just, it, it. Well, yeah, here, I mean, Chris, my mind. Chris himself agreed in his parade interview saying if he had a tremendous advantage, it was that he had experiences with the jury. Yeah. He told Josh, the person returning had such an advantage gathering information and gathering Intel from people who would soon be casting a vote for a million dollars. Yeah. That was part of the strategy 
on on the edge of extinction. I I say it's a huge part of the reason that, that the the whole edge of extinction twist never should have seen the light of day. Yeah, this the the idea that Chris could come back into the game and say, "I have information. If any of you want to talk to me," is is mind boggling because the information that he has is from those people who he was living on the island with and was essentially now utilizing to ruin people's games that were still playing like Lauren, what he did with Lauren, where he, he, Hey, listen, uh, you, you got to make a big move with that idol because Kelly told me that that's the only Mm -hmm. way you're going to win. The fact that he could use that type of information is so horrifying on every level because the jury, and that is a rule too, I must add, that when I was out there and I was on the jury, Jeff Probst didn't appreciate it when the jury said anything when they were sitting there because this is a game for a million dollars and he didn't want the people who were still in the game to know what way the jury was leaning, you know, who they could potentially be thinking they were going to vote for. I mean, so it was very clear that, like, if we had a, a visible reaction, that wasn't a, something the production really liked that much. But here you have someone who's hanging out with the jury and then coming into the game going, guess what the jury said about you? What? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, Chris told Josh that he would talk to Wardog and ask him what he thought needed to happen if he got back into the game. And Wardog told him, the first thing you have to do is lose. You have to lose the first challenge. You can't mm-hmm. win out. If you win out, you lose the game. It doesn't matter if you make it all the way to the fire and you win every immunity challenge. We are not looking for that. We are looking for strategy. Yeah. He had direct access to the jury's thoughts and knew exactly what they needed from him. Mm-hmm. He told Gordon Holmes. They all brainstormed with each other about what each person needed to do to win. That allowed him to set up Lauren to misuse her idol. That allowed him to know he should lose that first challenge. That allowed him to plan his entire path for those few days, including the need to win the final challenge, give up the necklace, and make fire against Rick. And, you know, another thing to note is, as Sarah Channon said on Twitter, it wasn't even only that Chris got to talk strategy with the jury and get information about how to play. It was that those conversations also told the jury he was a gamer and a strategist, which would have the effect of further biasing them towards him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, okay. So let's take a step back for a second. With all this said, how did Chris do in terms of making the best use of this huge advantage? Well, he did very well. Oh, he um, did exceptionally well. Yeah. Uh, in, in his interviews, he talked about how he was still, in a way, playing the game by trying to help people on Extinction Island, catching food for them, cooking for them, etc. Uh, they would have a lot of genuine conversations. He told Mike Bloom, those social elements are why our cast was so close, because we had an experience like no one else. Yeah, yeah you did. Uh, He added, when you're legitimately struggling, having a difficult time and you help someone else because they're going through the same thing, it's reciprocated. And it was indeed both that shared experience and that feeling of reciprocity were huge advantages that he had over the others in the final three. Absolutely. You know, so yeah, to his credit, he accomplished everything he set out to do in those days he had. He he flushed an idol. He played an idol. He won immunity. He gave up the necklace. He made fire. All of those were the types of big moves the jury wanted to see. That he and was he told. Knew that. Yes, right. that he was actually told you need to do X, Y and Z in order to win. And yeah. so he went in and he did X, Y and Z. And right. he won. I mean, 
Plus, it's a lot easier to make big moves when you literally only have to survive a single vote. If he had been around the full 39 days and tried that earlier in the game, he would have been part of the parade of threats who had their torches snuffed. It's a lot easier when you only have to do it a couple times. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he really did only need to survive one vote. That was it. One vote. And and how did he help himself in surviving? He used Lauren, you know, as part of the the ploy there. I mean, it's which is, again, the information from Extinction Island. So all of it is a very bad cog that started, you know, turning. And I don't like where it ended up at all. Yeah. Now, now, uh, all of this leads us to Gavin's argument that he tried to make to the jury. He said, if you're going to talk about classic Survivor, it's about surviving 39 days. It's not getting voted out on day eight then coming back on day 35 and having a chance to win this game. Mm-hmm. I-, I built, he-, he said, I built the social bonds to get me through the game. Being over there, you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about someone backstabbing you or blindsiding you. I'd love to reconnect with Eric and Aubrey and all those people I've done my wrongs to. Now, looking back, you know, Gavin told Entertainment Weekly he did misread the jury and didn't realize that either people were still angry at the decisions he made that got them voted out, or it was just a matter of how they bonded with Chris and how they respected Chris. I think it was mostly the latter. Mm-hmm. But I'm just not sure how he could have done anything about it. He he also said that he started talking about how he played Survivor and survived 39 days, and people were trying to belittle that experience. Now, let's think about that a moment surviving 39 days was not valued on the show survivor right and why was that there's a reason for it because you have to think about the mindset that those jurors were coming in with they were all put on the edge of extinction and told you might have a chance to get back in this game everybody who plays survivor i and i can tell you from experience that's that that's the one thing you want to hear you want you want to find out when you're walking down that path that oh no wait guess what you get to come back that is the one thing that every survivor wants is an opportunity to get back in the game because you're so devastated when you're taken out of the game so every juror that's sitting there was on the edge of extinction thinking i've got a shot to get back in so the fact that they weren't the people that got back in it almost set them up for this well we're not going to hold it against him that he went to the edge of extinction because we all were there too and it was hard and we were suffering and we have respect for him for being on the edge of extinction because we know what that's like we were there too we wanted the same thing that he wanted and he got it so it's this much different mindset of the people who have experienced what he's experienced because the last thing they want to do is hold that against him because that's the life that they have been living for the past however many days they were all out there yeah i mean you know i i agree with gavin pointing it out but i'm not sure there was a way a right way to do it because no. he was arguing against their very experiences yes exactly I, I, I mean, I don't know how he could have done it better in that moment at all, because the problem is, and this goes more into your uh, legal arena here, Gavin wasn't facing a jury of his peers. He was facing a jury of Chris's peers. Exactly. Yep. You know, and I know you're the lawyer here, but to me, it was like arguing to a judge that they need to recuse themselves from a case because they're biased. Because the problem is that the judge has to be objective enough to recognize their own bias but if that were the case, they probably would have put aside their bias in the first place. Right. And in that case, I mean, lawyers, judges, I'm sure you all go through training and ethics on how to keep that bias out of there. 
This jury hasn't been through that. Well, and and this jury couldn't avoid it because of the circumstances that they were in. They're living on the edge of extinction with hardly no food, with nothing to do, nothing but time to sit around and think about Survivor and think about the what ifs and I should have done this or I should have done that. And also plan their attack if they get back in, because there's still this glimmer of hope that somebody could get back in the game. And so they're talking about that very thing. What do I have to do to get to win if I get back in the game? So you come to rely upon these people who you're spending all of this time with to not only have those bonds with, but also to recognize how your game needs to unfold in order to win. Because I'm sure what Aubrey was told was not what Chris was told. And it wasn't what, you know, Reem might have been told or Joe might have been told. Everybody was told this is very specific for you. So you can't be anything but biased at that point because everyone's already decided that person's game before they've even played it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the jury all had their own thoughts about how difficult it was on the edge compared to the game. And, you know, you've talked about it already, but here's the thing. There was only one person besides Chris who experienced both. And he sided with Gavin. Yeah. You know, Rick told Rob it's harder to be in the game than on Extinction Island. And, you know, he he added to Gordon that you're constantly grinding in the game. He doesn't think the edge was much of a game at all. Mm-hmm. Everyone told you everything. And he was shocked when he was voted out the second time and learned that Chris had a shot to win. You know, he didn't think Chris had any chance based on the time he spent in the game. And that goes back to remember, we were saying Rick didn't care that much about getting rid of Chris because he didn't think he was a threat to him. Mm-hmm. And if that's what Rick thought, I think the other players probably had similar beliefs. We talked about Lauren saying, I'm willing to face Chris at the end. Yeah. You know, that's why they allowed him to stick around and even work with him. Uh, Steven said in his blog, the only way to rationalize these moves is to think that the players all assumed Chris was dead in the water and the jury would never award a million dollars for 13 days of gameplay. I mean, that is a very rational way to look at it. Mm-hmm. And and Gavin told Entertainment Weekly that he was confident going into final tribal council because he survived 39 days, won immunities, voted people out and didn't receive a single vote against him. He was thinking he played a great game, made moves and did everything needed to win the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I I'm just uh, I don't like it. I just yeah. don't like it. I yeah. just don't like it. I feel for Gavin. I and I know that there's been some comments made that, you know, perhaps he didn't get a single vote against him because he wasn't seen as a threat. And there's that argument too that you could make that he wasn't a threat, hence no one voted against him. But it does take so much away from the point of Survivor. And the point of Survivor is 39 days, one survivor. You know, I mean, like yeah. Jeff says it at the beginning of, of every season and it's 16 people or 18 people or 20 people, whatever it is, 39 days and one survivor. That 39 days has become so significant to anyone who knows anything about the game of survivor. And now it's like, meh, it doesn't really matter if you play 39 days or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all I mean, right. yeah. yeah. You mentioned Gavin, you know, that, that he, uh, you know, that the argument was that he he didn't get a vote because he wasn't seen as a threat, and that is one place he didn't have a strong argument was was the area of controlling the game because he kept his game under the radar, as we discussed in the second rule. Now, previously, I thought when the others didn't stand up and take credit, that meant the jury would give that credit to Rick. We talked about that, and mm-hmm. as it turned out, 
the jury might have still done that somewhat, or at least they didn't give it to Gavin himself. Mm-hmm. He he needed to find a way to argue that he was in control of the game, but he stayed under the radar to avoid becoming the next threat to get his torch snuffed. Mm-hmm. I, I, now, it is possible that he brought this up and it was cut for time because, you know, a lot of that ends up on the cutting room floor. But I, I just didn't get the feeling from the way tribal council went down that he brought that up. And it would have been his strongest argument. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, Julie and Gavin had such a monumental task ahead of them. As soon as Chris took that necklace off and passed it off to Julie and then said, I'm making fire against Rick. I mean, you could see it in their faces that they realized, oh, this is going to be so bad because that that was the one real big moment they both wanted. They both wanted to be the ones that sent Rick out of the game. They wanted to have that argument when they sat there in in the final three and said, look what I did. I got Rick Devins out of here. So give me credit for that. And now Chris was potentially taking that away from them. And, and I, and it was either, well, Chris just took away our greatest potential move or Rick Devins is going to be sitting next to me in the final three and I'm going to lose. So it was a real bad prospect for both of them. I mean, Gavin was like, I want to make fire. I want to prove my worth. I want to do this because I think in Gavin's mind, he thought that he was going to, that he thought I'm going to beat Rick in fire. And that's going to be my big ta-da moment, you know, in the final three, like, look what I did. And he didn't get that. And so right. it, it minimized their, their game even more. And so it was such a struggle for them to really remind the jury of what Survivor is all about. And Survivor is surviving, not getting voted out third, not getting voted out at all, uh, but surviving for 39 days and being able to maneuver your way through the game and still be there at the end is huge. Absolutely huge. And that was unfortunately completely lost. Yeah. And, you know. Uh, for his part, Chris went into that final tribal council hard and pushed to get credit for what he had done. As Jeff Probst told Entertainment Weekly, he he made a strong case for himself. He did not back down, nor did he give Gavin any breathing room to make a run at him. Uh, Jeff Probst said the lesson is you have to have a stronger point of view. Gavin obviously did a lot of things right and got votes for the win. But to seal the deal, you have to be persuasive and passionate. Absolutely. And You know, Stephen said on Twitter that Chris was aggressively telling his story about how he had to make fire against the most deserving competitor to earn his spot. Now, if it were me, I'd have pointed out that making fire doesn't prove you're a better player. It just proves you make fire quicker. Yeah. And that was never what Survivor was supposed to be about until a few seasons ago when Jeff Probst put in that stupid twist. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I, I suspect my argument would have been met with the same success as Gavin's was. But he also pointed out that while Chris did while he spent a long time on Extinction Island it wasn't that different from the others not having to go to tribal council for 17 days thanks to tribal immunity wins he did have at least that point to throw in there Mm -hmm. Chris said in his parade interview that he knew he really had to articulate why he did what he did and had to relay that it was strategic he knew that it was his job to lessen the other's endgame while elevating his own. He knew that he had to take some heat and survive through it. And at one point, the criticism of the theme began, which we've already discussed. And he said, if I don't deserve to be here, then then why then are we seeing that this theme and all the energy that has put put into this by production is a waste? 
Is that the implication here? And then Wardog jumped in and said, the theme's not on trial. These three are. Chris wisely used that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and I have to say, I mean, and, and again, I'm what Wardog said is true. Is that this is no, not, not no? I mean, as far okay, listen. <laughs> What's true about it is that you know the we are focusing on the theme now because we don't like you know what ended up happening, and we are we are judging. Chris and Gavin and Julie for the game that they played. And again, with, with what they were given and what they were given was this theme. And so it's this whole weird, like situation that we find ourselves in because I do, I I love survivor and I have loved survivor. And, and I know that, that Bloomberg does too, but it's frustrating for people that love the game so much to see the theme overtake the game. And I think that's really what we ended up seeing is that instead of, Instead of the jury really being able to do their job, and yes, those three being on trial, you couldn't get past the theme. And I don't know how any of the jurors set it aside and went, "No, I'm okay with that." I mean, Gavin, or I should, Gavin has struggled with just talking about or trying to talk to people that were playing the game. Like, this is what Survivor is. It's 39 days. Like, how was how that being lost on everyone? And Devons was trying to bring them back around. That's what this is all about. But unfortunately, as much as everyone wanted to not talk about the theme, it couldn't it couldn't be not talked about. And right. I, it, I mean, it's just it's a really horrible position that I think the jury was put in and that the people who were sitting in the final three were put in is that now this is this very weird wrinkle in this in this game that we've all grown to love and understand. I And and they had to deal with it, but it it's just unfortunate that they had to. Yeah. Now, I, I don't want to, you know, leave. Well, I, actually, I have plenty more to say, but I, I want to at least uh, bring up Julie. Um, now, I, I don't think she really stood a chance going into final tribal council. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chris had the edge from being on the edge. Gavin had strategy to discuss and try to convince them about. And Julie tried making that case that we talked about that emotional play was her strategy. Uh, the jury, uh, you know, just wasn't going to buy into that. Yeah. And I feel for her because I do think that she played a much more impressive game than I expected her to. I mean, she obviously won immunity twice. She did great in challenges. She formulated the relationships that she thought would be necessary for her game. But the, I do think that the emotional side of her was what people focused on more than her gameplay. And the response that you saw from the jury was almost, I, I really, I felt bad for her at that moment when, when, you know, Julia was really kind of putting her down and, and and war dog jumped in there and and i i understand that's what the jury is supposed to do they're supposed to make that person answer their questions and explain themselves but there was a few moments there that i think that she was she was run through the ringer a little too hard yeah all right um you know as we prepared for this podcast both of us were somewhat surprised that there weren't any jury speaks videos you and i talked about that offline Mm-hmm. And I say somewhat because CBS All Access has screwed us since midseason on that kind of content. But it could also be that they didn't really want us to know what the jury was thinking because it would have revealed that the jury was so caught up in this horrible twist. And that's, you know, quite possible because as much as you don't want to believe that that was what 
happened, that it really came down to the twist. I think that's what it did. It came down to the twist. Yeah, I mean, I think now is an appropriate time for me to mention a social media post that Aubrey made a couple days ago. And this was about her time on the edge of extinction. She said, you know, that was not just her third shot on a reality show that she loves, uh, but was the most transformative experience of her life. With that in mind, it makes me ask how it would have been possible for Gavin or Julie to argue that their time in the actual game was of higher importance than Chris's time on the edge, Mm -hmm. which coincided with the most transformative experience of her life. Yeah. In in addition to her her explanation of the experience, she also explained slash justified her vote in final tribal council. She said she was judging based on the parameters of the game they were in. And they, you know, did did the person make the most of the time they had to control their destiny when they had the chance? Did they leverage their social relationships that they forged to lead the charge in a bid to control their own fate in do or die moments? Did they accept the advantages and parameters of the season as valid parts of the game and do their best to make it work for them? Did they find a way to stick it out in the worst of times? I have to say, every one of these looks like a question that is leading the witness. Mm -hmm. With those parameters, there could literally only be one answer. So it looks very much to me like the answer came first, then the questions. Because when you only need to survive three days, every day is do or die. It's a lot easier to accept the advantages and parameters of the season when they work to put you back in the game with an idol in your bag after you've been voted out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like Aubrey. I appreciate her being open about the experience and her reasons for voting as she did. But in this case, it seems like she made up her mind because of her own experience on the edge. And I strongly suspect many of the other jurors who voted for Chris had similar feelings. Yeah. I'm not belittling that experience because I'm pretty sure I would have gone stark raving mad sitting out there for weeks with nothing to do. I I just can't see myself doing it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But I would like to think that when it came time to cast my vote, I would be objective enough to put aside my experience and vote for the person who played the best survivor game the whole way through. Yeah. And and it all goes back to this, you know, this weird spiral effect is that they they were unable to do that because of the experience that they had all been through. They can't belittle his experience because then they are going to be looking at their own going, well, mine didn't matter either. And everyone who plays survivor wants to believe that they played the best game that they could, or that they made the most of their circumstances and that they had to fight to survive. And there are portions of survivor that are difficult. And there are portions of survivor that aren't that hard. The survival component of survivor. And what I mean by survival is, you know, food and uh, living conditions and the like. All of those things on edge of extinction are not what make this game hard. Being hungry and being tired and sleeping on bamboo and being dirty are not what make this game hard. It is an added component and it kind of sucks at times, (laughs) but that is not what is trying on you. What's trying on you is the mental exhaustion that you can never turn your brain off because you're constantly thinking about what's happening next who's talking to who who's not here why did everybody disappear what you know what conversation do i need to have who do i need to go find 
Uh, can I go look for an idol? Who am I voting for next? How are the votes going to fall? That's what your brain is doing 24-7 when you're actually in the game. When you're not in the game, that turns off. You're, I mean, it, and, and that's what I'm sure happened at Edge of Extinction. They didn't have to think about that anymore. Right. So it's, it's it, it, I just think it's a horrible path that they all had to go down together because they had to stand by their own game and they had to stand by their experience and, and what they endured and make it significant for themselves. And I think the Chris vote showed that they believed it was truly significant and they were awarding him for that. Yeah. I mean, some of the other jurors also came out to defend their votes. Uh, War Dog echoed his statement from the show that the theme is not on trial. I continue to disagree with that. And I, I told him so. Julia tweeted, if you were able to jump on the Rick train and reward his hustle after winning his way back into the game, then you should understand how the same respect was given to Chris by the jury, regardless of the number of days played. I disagree with her as well and replied back to note that the number of days played does, in fact, make all the difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ron said he voted for Chris and it wasn't close. He was looking for a game that was aggressive, but Gavin wasn't aggressive. So basically, he wanted to vote for someone who played the game that got him and all the others voted out. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the only possible way to do it in a, in a season like this was to come back when Chris did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he said, Chris made big moves in the small time he had. Uh, it, yeah, he did. Cause he could do it in the small time he had. And he was uh, told you know, what he had to do. Right. Joe said, if any of the edge of extinction, people could make it back and get to the final three. That's pretty epic. Well, you know what I think is pretty epic playing 39 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. 100% agree. So, you know, Victoria was also asked about her vote for Chris instead of Gavin. And we talked about this a little bit. We alluded to it. She said that he had turned on her and told Entertainment Weekly it was clear that Gavin had flipped on her in the moment before she was voted out or else there would have been a second vote for Chris. Here's the thing I find ironic, because in her Ponderosa video, she said she hoped nobody else was bitter and she wouldn't be bitter. Yeah, and she was clearly bitter. <laughs> so it was so, a little emotional there. I Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like you said. Mm-hmm. So, all right. I'm We've sorry, I'm sorry CBS. I really, I, yeah, I still well, love you. Yeah. Um, we, we've gone through all the rules. We've laughed. We've cried. We've ranted. We've <laughs> raved. We've yelled. We've ranted some more. We have. With, with all of that, you have final thoughts on Chris and the others who are in the finale. All right. I'm, I'm going to be brief because I feel like you're not going to be, but I, that's okay. I would rather be brief. I'm, I'm going to do more of an overview, even though we've already ranted a little bit about the theme. I just want to express a few thoughts about it. I'll start with a quote from Rick Devins. This is from episode three tribal council. And he was asked to sum up the tribe. And his response was losers, man. And I think this is a great description of all of us, including the viewers, that we all lost. I'm not speaking ill of any of the players, and I want people to understand that. I'm not even speaking ill of Chris winning, because all of that is still significant. He did what he needed to do with the time that he was given in the game, and I understand the theme was what they were all presented with. But the effect that this season had on all of us as a whole is what I'm talking about. You know, Chris won a game that's mantra is outwit, 
outplay and outlast. And this is what we have come to know, what we've come to respect. And Gavin expressed this in the final tribal council being there from day one to day 39. Now, I know I have been riding the Devon's train and we know that Julia talked about it. Yes, he was voted out too. Rick was on the edge for six days, but his chance to rejoin was pre-merge. And I really think that this theme could have worked. And I mentioned it if it had just stopped there. Once the game is merged, I think that's where this theme should have ended because the surprise of the edge is now gone, right? Once those from the edge of extinction are brought back in to compete for a chance to reenter, there's no more surprises. And technically, and I mentioned this too, Chris lost his first chance to reenter the game. So he gets voted out. He loses a shot to get back in. He gets sent back to extinction, gets a second shot, reenters with only five days left in the game, and is given a friggin' idol on top of it that he has to use at the vote of five. So all of that to me is just kind of absurd, as we've already addressed. So, yes, again, Chris kicked ass for those five days. He did everything he had to do to try and justify a win. But again, who was he justifying this to? He wasn't having to justify it to people that he hadn't, you know, that he'd actually played the game with. He was justifying it to people that he had spent 28 days with feeding and providing for. And these people who were in the same exact position as he was, if any of them had said that, you know, I'm not going to vote for Chris out of respect for the game, then they're all really saying that they don't deserve to win either. And you know what? They don't, unfortunately. They got voted out. And I know that's hard. And everybody who plays Survivor hates that idea. But when you get voted out, you get voted out. Just like so many other Survivors before them, people are voted out of this game. There's no backseason Survivor or do-overs. And Chris got two of them. And he walked away with a million dollars. I mean, the theme will forever overshadow what he did bring to the game. No one will care that he gave up immunity to compete at fire with the guy who was going to win it if he was sitting in the final three. No one will remember. Years from now, he'll be that guy who won after only playing 13 days. And that sucks. It sucks for him and for all of us. We're all a bunch of losers, man. So uh, it, those are my it, thoughts. It sucks Sucks a little less for him because he has a million dollars in the bank. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. All right. Buckle up. Um, <laughs> I'm so ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, mean, um, I want to reemphasize what I said at the top of the podcast, that Chris seems like a very nice guy and any anger or unhappiness we've shown or I'm about to show uh, is is the result is directed at the producers, not him. As Steven said in his blog, we can't blame Chris for his win. He didn't design the edge of extinction twist. He just maximized it. And yes, he certainly did maximize it. He played an excellent social game while he was on Extinction Island out of the main game. He also used the full opportunity to discuss strategy and make all the necessary plans in case he got back into the game. From there, he executed those plans pretty flawlessly, convincing Lauren to waste her idol on him and preying on Rick's emotions about how they had gotten close to each other when both of them were on Extinction Island together. Plus, he got the three most threatening potential finalists out of the game, so he had an easier argument in front of a jury. Gavin and Julie had a very difficult argument against the person who returned from the edge, as we had warned about when we first heard about this twist. No defendant should be allowed to hang out with and befriend the jury in a trial, 
and no finalist should be allowed to do it on Survivor. Their best argument against Chris also went directly against most of the jurors themselves, as you said. I mentioned in the first rule that Gavin said in an episode three web confessional that he was trying to bond with everyone so they'd vote for him to win at the end. Too bad he was trying to bond with people in the game instead of those who had already been voted out. I guess he should have somehow magically known that that was the path to victory instead of playing for 39 days. Gavin didn't play a perfect game, as we discussed, but he played a full game with quite a bit of strategic and social play. Chris, on the other hand, didn't play a full game, but he did play a fat, flashy one for three days. I don't think that should outweigh strategic moves made for 39. Yes, Chris made several of the other players make mistakes, but he only had to force basically two errors while everyone else had to try to force errors for over a month. Uh, we've compared it to poker many times. You, we talked about being all in and, and, and everything else. But on, in poker, one main goal is to get your opponents to make more mistakes than you. This, to me, was like playing a multi-day tournament to get to the final table and have someone else get dropped in with only a few people left. Sure, the drop-in still has to play, but they only need to win a few pots while the others have been playing hard, thinking and risking everything for days. And the funny thing is that after I had already written down this metaphor in my notes, one of my favorite poker podcasts, Anti Up, briefly discussed the survivor result and used a similar comparison to show their anger at the result. I talked about some of the jurors and their thoughts, and it seems very clear that their own shared experiences made them inclined to vote for Chris, especially once Rick was gone. When Gavin dared suggest that Chris shouldn't be rewarded for playing so few days, I think that just made them more defensive. Would they have voted for just anyone from the edge? Would they have given it to Chris if he rode coattails or won challenges to get there? According to what Chris told us, no. They said they needed to see specific gameplay, and he gave it to them. That gameplay justified their votes in their minds. The problem, of course, is that Chris never should have had that advantage that the other members of the final six didn't have. Like I said earlier, this wasn't a jury of Gavin's or Julie's peers. It was a jury of Chris's peers. Jury communication, you said it already, you talked about it, normally is not allowed at all. But in this case, the jury coached Chris on how to win their votes. To his credit, he did a great job in planning it out and then following the plans he had made. And, well, that's why Chris won and everyone else lost. <sighs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, there we so, are. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, let's look ahead a little bit. Because mm -hmm. okay. that, that was painful. I yes, apologize to everyone because I know ahead. I know it was painful. Um, as this season has come to a close, we did get to look ahead at the next and none too soon. I, I am. I, I have to wonder if Jeff Probst decided to do Island of Idols with Rob and Sandra, followed by hopefully something special for season 40 as an attempt to make sure we, the viewers, don't all lose hope. And he didn't lose us as viewers mm. um, after, you know, they they screwed up this season so badly. Uh, you know, we know that they are capable of making great TV because we saw it just one season ago. Mm -hmm. So let's hope for the best. And in the meantime, well, South African Survivor will keep us occupied over the summer. I haven't watched the first episode yet because I've been preparing for this, but I'm about to start. 
And, uh, you know, hey, that that goes practically till the, the next Survivor season. Right. No, and that is true. That is definitely something I need to start watching. I do appreciate the other Survivor survivors that are out there, the international survivors, I guess I, I could say, because I feel like it's a little more old school survivor. So I really, I really enjoy it because it, it, they haven't fallen into what we've kind of fallen into here because it's been around for so long and people are very much studied up on the game. And so it, there's, there's an old school feel to it. So I really appreciate that a lot. Okay. Um, also, looking ahead to uh, the not-too-distant future, remember that everyone should submit your questions for our special Q&A podcast coming mm-hmm. soon. Yep. Uh, we, you know, I think I mentioned earlier that we've already had a bunch coming in, so make sure to get your question in, especially now that you've heard what we think. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, everyone should check out the RHAP patron program by heading over to com slash patron to help support all of the RHAP podcasts and find a great community of people you can talk to, rant to, listen to rants from about Survivor, Big Brother and more. Uh, all of that in the special patron Facebook groups. Uh, again, that's com slash patron. And once you get to the Facebook groups, make sure to say hello to us. Yes. Or you can do that. And also, I shouldn't say or follow us on Twitter. I am Jessica Lewis 89 and David Bloomberg is at David Bloomberg. I should say at Jessica Lewis 89 and at David Bloomberg. You should follow both of us so you can get both sides of the conversation. You can see all of the wonderful things that we both post in response to not only each other, but to things that are posed by other Twitter users. So like David said, if you want to ask us a question for the podcast, you can certainly submit it. And also, if anyone has any questions about the lovely poster that we are selling, you can also reach us there. So that's at Jessica Lewis 89 and at David Bloomberg. Yeah. And as you mentioned, that poster is, of course, the one that Eric Reichenbach designed uh, with Jessica, and uh, it covers all the rules we just discussed. And so, you know, as soon as this podcast is over, now that you've been listening for two and a half hours, uh, <laughs> go to the eBay link via tinyurl.com slash David Rules poster. And I'm going to uh, add one thing about the poster, if I may. Absolutely. I am also, I mentioned last week that I'm going to Hearts of Reality. Hearts of Reality is a wonderful wonderful fundraiser that happens every August and it's at give kids the world village and lots of money is raised for these children who, and their families who are in need. It's an incredible, incredible experience. There's going to be a lot of survivors attending. So what I'm doing, I'm going to be one of them that's attending and I have to raise money to go. So I told you last week, the first five people that donate to my page, which you can find at hearts of reality, 2019. And then you can, you can scroll through who's coming or you can look me up by name, but it just, if you Google hearts of reality, 2019, I'll bring you right to the page. First five people that donate more than $75. I will get one of our posters signed by every survivor who is present at hearts of reality. And there's going to be a lot of them, including quite a few from this season. So I hope I didn't offend anybody too much from this season, (laughs) but there will be a lot of people there. So I will get them autographed and then I will send them off to you after um, Heart to Reality is done in August, which is I believe it's August 8th through the 10th. And also an added bonus. There is a framed poster that I've just posted on eBay today. And that frame already has multiple signatures on it. 
including myself and David Bloomberg, and also someone like Rob Sesternino and Stephen Fishback. They're on there, too. Everyone who was at the Live Know-It-Alls signed the frame, and I'm going to get additional survivors at Heart of Reality to sign the frame as well. That is up for auction. So you can bid on that, and then I will send that to whoever is the highest bidder once Hearts of Reality is over. So check those out. So you can either, you know, donate money to get a poster, or you can just buy one outright for $20. But great cause to raise some money for, you know, wonderful children in need. So take a look at it. All right. Uh, It is time for a hashtag. Traditionally, we simply do the hashtag, uh, in this case, why Chris won. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, we've been two and a half hours into this. I, I feel like there should be a different hashtag, but my, you know, I'm drained right now from ranting and raving. Uh, you could do hashtag ranting and raving. If you I want, think that's but, perfect. Hashtag so. ranting and raving <laughs> and hashtag why Chris won. And of course the hashtag for the podcast overall, why X lost, um, Make sure that if this wasn't enough for you, you get all the survivor commentary you can handle uh, for, you know, now that the finale's over. And of course, Rob is going to be doing a bunch of deep dives. Make sure you get that by subscribing to all of the RJP Survivor podcasts at robhaspodcast.com slash survivor or down, you know, add it to your favorite podcatcher. We are also on the reality TV wrap ups feed, which will, you know, sometime in the not too distant future be shifting into mostly big brother mode. So you want to make sure you're you're getting that as well. Uh, in both places, you can you can find all that content I discussed, plus the know-it-alls, the wiggle room, this week in Survivor, the B&B, you name it. So we have come to the end of this uh, epic journey for now until the Q&A podcast. And uh, I want to thank Scott St. Pierre, who does the editing on all the Why Blank Loss podcasts. Thanks, as always, to Will for America for the theme song. Thank you, Jessica, for another great episode. Uh, sharing your feelings. I know we had to drag them out of you. Um, I know. I you know, was really willing, willing to do that. <sighs> and, um, you know, uh, spending the last uh, two and a half hours with me here. Well, thank you, David Bloomberg, for allowing me to do so. It is fun, as always. And I, again, I apologize if if I was a little too much, a little too aggressive. But as you can tell, Bloomberg and I are a little passionate about Survivor. Mm, so this is a little bit. So this this is a very significant uh, season for us because of that that passion that we have for the game. So thank you for hanging in there and listening for over two and a half hours now and i'm looking forward to your questions and i promise we will try not to rant and rave so much answering your questions but thank you so much for Unless listening they want us to yeah. that's true if, if you enjoy this great we can do that again yeah yeah all right with that uh thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you in you know probably about a week give or take talk to you then if bye Jessica will turn it around They'll break down the rules And they'll show you how You played yourself and got voted out This is why Blank lost And this is why Blank lost Oh baby, this is why Blank lost It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.